Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of the Pioneer Podcast. And for all of you listening at home, very much uh, thank you for tuning in. But for everybody watching it live right now, because we're on Twitch, on Ross's channel, that's Ross underscore Merriam on Twitch, we're doing the show live, and we're doing our um, annual, or I don't know what the right phrase is for here, because they do so many different sets at different times, but we're doing our semi, semi, semi annual, I don't, I don't know, but we're doing our show every time a new set comes out with our top eight. Yeah, so, so what is four, what is four times a year? What is the, I'm not even sure what the word yeah, for that is. We're going to get like six next year or something, right? Like five or six sets? But we're not doing like reviews for the supplementary material. No, no, no. I mean, like we're getting like five or six sets next year, I think, right? Because we're getting two Innistrads. Like I think we oh, get at least yeah. five sets next year. Yeah. I think we are getting five sets next year. Yeah, it's not because that's what I'm saying. It's quarterly-ish right now, but it's not quarterly. Yeah, I, I guess it actually, we would just say quarterly. Like, Yeah, because like we're, we're also... I mean, we might get another set before the end of the year because we might get, or they might start announcing Pioneer Masters soon too for Arena. Uh, we, we're we're going to have to talk about we that. We would do, uh, yeah, we would definitely do a review we show would def- that. Yeah, it's that got Pioneer in it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so whatever the, they quarterly with an asterisk. How about that? Quarterly with an asterisk. Our regularly yeah. scheduled. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> regularly show. scheduled. Let's not, hey, we're not putting ourselves in any boxes here. You know, we're allowed to do whatever we want. We are allowed to. It's our show. We can do whatever the fuck the fuck we want. Yeah, it's, it's my show. It's got my name on it. I mean, I don't <laughs> know. <laughs> whatever, but... Uh, so your your name is Cannon do... Pioneer Grace. Yeah, exactly. So we're going to be reviewing the new Zendikar uh, today. But before we get into that, we got about some other stuff to talk about. We'll also be going to take a look back at how we did on our last preview show. And I'll say this. I knew we were going to have a lot of misses on it. Because I figured that the core set was going to be a little too underpowered to really make a huge impact on yep. Pioneer, but I was still surprised at how much we whiffed. We should well, probably actually add like an overall grade we think of the set in terms of its impact yeah. on Pioneer, what that will be, and then that you know gives you a gauge as to where you know. Yeah, the last one had been like an F, like or yeah, D, yeah. D, D I, rem- I remember really struggling it doing to find that eight one, cards. trying to just come up with. With eight, whereas when we were doing Akoria, I had a list of like sixteen that I had to narrow yeah. down. I had I had a lot of cards not make the top eight today. Um, that I, when I was going through it, and I was just like, I, did, I tried not to fret over it. You know what I mean? I didn't want to cause myself any anxiety or whatever because I was just like, oh, I want to put this card in and that card in, and you know, whatever, right? Like, it's not the end of the world if we if we if we miss on one, but th- this one was hard. You know, there's there's a lot of cards in here that I think are very good and very powerful. It could make big implications into the format. I also think, you know, I'm getting ahead of myself here, but I also think there's multiple cards in the set that could spawn brand new decks or bring decks back to life in this format, which I'm really looking forward to. Yeah, this is a this is a very interesting set to me because of these modal double face cards are unlike anything we've really ever seen before. And they they have a a pretty broad impact on how you build decks. Because yeah. You know, even if the spell side of them isn't very powerful, and you see most of them aren't very powerful spells as standalones, the fact that you get to play them as lands really lowers the bar significantly as to what a playable card is. And I think, you know, by a huge margin, and you get to build these decks that effectively both play more lands than previously and less at the same time. And so I think we're going to see a pretty significant, and, and this impact will be obviously greater in Standard than it is in Pioneer, but it'll definitely leak over to Pioneer, especially with the Mythic cycle of them. You're going to see decks become more consistent. And that level of consistency, I, you know, I'm not sure who it's going to favor. 
right? Because you you can say on the one hand, well, if decks are more consistent, then the aggro decks that rule the early game are going to be better. But if the interactive decks get more consistent, maybe they get into the long game and then they get to leverage the more powerful spells more effectively. Uh, or do the aggro decks now get to play some powerful spells because their lands on the other side, so they get to shoehorn in these you know five, six, and seven minute spells or X spells that that yeah. play well into the long game. There, and th- then there's kicker. There, there's a, a ton of elements in this set that give you ways to use your mana and a lot of versatility. And I don't think I've I've seen a set that had this many cards that have that impact of giving you just like you know different modes. It's relevant at two mana, relevant at seven mana. It's a land. It's also a six mana spell. That kind of modality being on so many of cards is unprecedented. Yeah, I'm actually really excited to see, um, like the one, of, the thing that you said I think that excites me the most is how some of these modal cards will be in the aggro decks. Because, yeah, it's cool to have a land that's also a spell. That's that's very powerful, right? Like in these decks, it's like, oh, I, I can make a land drop here to make sure I curve out. Or, you know, late in the game, if I'm flooding, I've got this card that's also just like an X spell. Like, you know, like the red one that's like X deal damage. And if it's six or more, like deal double, you know, like that card's yeah. good. Like that card's playable, right? You have to see... Because the thing is, is it, you say like it is going to up your consistency, but it's also going to hurt your curve and sometimes too, where you're just you have to play it as your second or third land, and it comes into play tapped, right? Well, the mythic so, ones like, can enter untapped if you pay. Yeah, three you can pay three there. Yeah, so like, that, those, those are obviously yeah. yeah, those are obviously busted, right? Yeah, but all but, the like, other ones. Because because here's the thing, um, you know, when we do these shows, we have our top eight, and then we have our like underrated, overrated. But like, I always going to mention a couple cards sometimes that are like right on the edge for me. And a lot of the cards that run on the edge for me were just the lands that are also spells, right? I think they're going to be very good in standard. I think you're going to see a lot of decks that have technically like 12 lands in them. And then, you know, 10 to 14 cards that are lands plus spells, right? Especially if the format grinds or slows down a tiny bit. Like there's not a, a an aggressive red deck that's like punishing you for going third, you know, where, like, you know, a lot of your lands come into play taps. Like, remember Guildgate formats where people were playing actual factual Guildgates? I remember I played a mono-red deck in that format, and it was the easiest I've ever had a time in, in Standard. You just yeah, ran so over you were people. on the double play, or you were on the play? You were never on yeah, the draw. You, you were always on the play, yeah, no matter <laughs> yeah. what. You just, yeah, exactly. You're, it's just, they might be going third, you know? Yeah, yeah. And so just, I got to see that. And then you're talking about these modal cards, and, like, they're hard to kind of you know, gauge like how good or how bad some of them will be or, or, or how impactful some of them will be. And, you know, you're like, well, the the spell side is a little on the weaker side for its mana cost in general, right? You know, like because it has the land side, you're they're not just going to give you like a normally cast, uh, costed card. And the way I think about it, the way like m- in my mind I think about it, it's like they kind of remind me of like some of the charms and stuff like that in the past, you know, like modal cards where like you get to choose one, right? Of this, this, or this, where like, none of the effects for the mana cost were the most efficient it's ever been printed, right? Or even on par, usually, of how it's been printed. But when you give them that choice, right, and you give you this card at this cost where it has, like, three choices or four choices, and you get to make that choice, that's powerful, right? Like, when they give you these options and stuff like that. like In particular with the set, it's the density of spells that give you those options, right? Yeah. You know, if you have one good one drop in your aggro deck, that's not very good. Your your only good draws are going to be when you start on that card. When you have three good one drops in your aggro deck, now you've got something going. It's where you get uh, get that critical mass, and we really haven't seen a critical mass of spells like these, in particular with the spells that are also lands. Because you know, I think you could give somebody twelve different variants of an is it charm, and they wouldn't put twenty is it charms in their deck. <laughs> yeah. You know, at exactly. a certain point, you got to get more efficient spells. Uh, exactly. But but there's few things that are more efficient than being able to play it as a land. Um. 
and, and really bypass it being an inefficient spell in the first place. And, and that's what really gets me. And I agree that these are going to have a much more impact, higher impact in standard. Where I see them in Pioneer is their metagame choices. And I think in particular, the, the, the Hornet Sting, I can't remember the name of it. Uh, that's oh, the, the one that just deals damage. Yeah, that, that's the big example. I like that to one me. a lot too. Yeah. And like, if you're in going into a tournament and, you know, you're playing, you know, so, you know, maybe like an is it deck or something like is it Phoenix? Can you imagine Spike Field Hazard? Can you imagine just like you know playing two of these in your deck and having a card that's a land in you know, or you just pitch it to a discard spell, or it's a land when you're playing the, you know non aggro matchups, but you know the metagame is going to be aggro heavy, or you think it's going to be aggro heavy. You know, I think these are easy ways to bias your deck in certain directions based on the metagame, and they're very low risk ways of doing so. Whereas like you really wouldn't want to add more actual shocks or magma spray or like similar effects to that to your main deck at least. So uh, I think it really helps your ability to metagame. Yeah, I think the formats where like Noble Hierarch is really popular, right? And like Champion of the Parish, you know, cards that are like, you know, they've got one butt. So like this card is either it's a land in the matchups where you want to make your land drops to make sure you cast your spells or in the matchups where like I just want to make sure I don't get run over in the first two or three turns, like even as standard, like think about, you know, some of the red decks in the past where like turn one, it was a one, one, right. Or a two, one. And then turn two, it's like another two, one, right. That's attacking you. And you're like, well, now I get to kill that. And then the matchups where I need to be casting, you know, like stuff later game, then it's just a land. So like, it's like a modal card, but it's good. Um, one thing that I haven't heard people talk about in the way that I'm thinking about it right now that I think hasn't come up as much as these modal cards. Cause they're always like, yeah, they're great, right? Like, they're lands and they're spells. So it's a land that could be a spell is... Also, if we get good enough cards, like, and we've seen a few in this set um, where lands matter, like, right? Like, landfall, you know, or, like, like landfall in the aggro decks is... Now the aggro decks get the choice the other way around, too, where they're like, well, I don't actually, like, need this spell. I just need to make sure I'm triggering landfall every turn. So my spells also are lands, right? So, like, if you can, if you can make it to where both sides are relevant, and I mean, like really relevant instead of just making land drops or having a, possibly having a spell late. I think that's where you're going to see some serious power come out of these cards. And you might see upwards of like eight to 10 copies of cards like this in decks. And it might be cards that aren't super powerful either, right? Like, you know, you see the one that's like, what, just put a plus one, plus one counter on a creature, right? Isn't there one like the green one that's like a land? And like that, that card might just be good enough in like landfall decks, right? Because you're like, well, it's a combat trick now in, in some spots, you know, where they... You know, they, they use a shock to kill my 2-2, two, two, and you're like, no, make it a 3-3, three, three, kill you. Or, like, you know, triggered landfall on some of these creatures that have landfall. I mean, we didn't get super good, aggressive landfall creatures, but there is a step links in this set, you know? And, like, if 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 that's a thing, then I think those cards are going to be great. Yeah, the big thing to me is that the, the change towards having all of these lands versus before when you had fetch lands with your landfall cards is that you're less explosive, but you're not running out of gas. As quickly so you need to figure out how does that change my deck it means i'm probably raising my curve because i know i'm playing the game a little bit longer i want more powerful cards and i want ways to generate card advantage off of these lands so the, the thing that i i'm looking at is a card like rada or uh course of crew fix in pioneer those cards with dried releasing grove and azusa are like i, I thought people really overrated Azusa when they saw it in the previous season for Core 21, and they did. Yeah, I had no idea why that, people were... Yeah, yeah, they see this modern playable card, and they think, oh, this is a powerful magic card. But it's really hard to have a deck that consistently is playing three lands a turn. I think it's actually, you know, very doable to make a deck that does that. And because you can play these uh, modal double face cards off of your library. You're allowed to do that. 
You're not allowed to put them into play off of Genesis Ultimatum, but you're allowed to play them as lands if you can play a land off the top of your library. I don't oh, really understand okay. why, but I know that's the case. Um, and I understand that there's like a slight distinction in how they work. I don't really un- like fully understand exactly why that distinction is in the rules the way it does, but whatever. We don't need to reason why. Harp on that, yeah. I will say this. I do think that someone listened to you when designing this set because this set seems like it was a set designed to make people play more lands in their decks. And I know this <laughs> yeah. is something that you've been harping on for, I don't know, a decade that we don't play enough lands in our magic decks. And now they're going to. But we're also going to play more spells, Ross. So, like, you just get be- you get to have your cake and eat it, too. And I like how, I just wonder, I'm not sure we fully understand how that changes how, how the game is going to play out. Because normally there's a trade-off. You can put more lands in your deck, but then you have less spells, you know, and, and vice versa. Now you can actually, you know, get more of each, but your power level goes down a little bit. But if you can build synergies into your deck to take advantage of that high land count, or you're enabling other really more powerful cards to compensate, you know, how do these trade-offs occur is a really interesting problem to solve. So I think actually more than evaluating individual cards that are in this set, this set is going to be about evaluating exactly how to build our decks moving forward when we have these new tools available that fundamentally reshape the structure of Magic the Gathering decks. We've already seen that that structure be slightly tweaked because of really powerful card advantage generating threats like Hybrid Crisis and Uro, where you've just seen these decks play 28, 29, 30 lands in standard, where you never really saw that before. But these cards were so powerful that they made up for your lack of overall spells in your deck. But, you know, Crisis was a huge mana sink. Uro would take over a game by itself. And the major punishing factor was just missing an early land drop. If you fell behind, your opponent would just be able to interact with you profitably with either gusts and counter spells and all these things. And so you just could never fall behind. You could never miss a land drop. So that drove everyone to increase the number, the land counts of their deck past what we, you know, ever thought was reasonable. And now you're going to see, you know, a similar idea, but really pushed to the max. Because we're, our decks are just structured in a way where we can play like we have 18 lands, but also play like we have 28 at the same time. And it's just something that I don't think, not only have we never seen before, but nobody has ever really thought about doing it before because it just wasn't, wasn't possible. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's not something we've ever gone into. And like, honestly, I'm excited for the prospect of it. I don't think I am smart enough to figure it out. So I'm going to let other people do it first and then I'll kind of, you know, roll with it, try to. Yeah, I'll just I'll, I'll I'll stand on the shoulders of giants. You know what I mean? I'll try to I'll try, I'll, I'll try to figure it out from there. But uh, before we know where we're going, we always have to look to the past, right, Ross? So I know you had some of this kind of. Re- did you have the thing ready to go to see how we did on our uh, yeah predictions? I've got your list up right now. If you want to review that one first. Okay, um, cool. I'm uh, looking at the stream. I'm gonna be a couple seconds behind. Oh, well, we don't. I don't have images of it ready to pop up. Oh, I'm okay. just gonna run sure, through it real sure. quick. Let's go ahead. So we're gonna say uh, how we did on our last top eight reveal. So yeah, I can this see four twenty one. Yeah. See what we uh, got right, what we got wrong. So uh, your number eight card was See the Truth. Uh, yeah, that, that one's a win. It showed up a little bit. It showed up a little bit. Early, but then people realized it was bad. <laughs> There's a lot of cards that show up within the first couple weeks of a set being released. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. like, yeah, not good. Yeah, try the new toys. Your number seven, Bassery Ket. This was a brick for both of us. Uh, your number six, Silver Smoke Ghoul. We've seen a little bit of that in Pioneer in, in the Sultai Dredge deck. Chalking that one up as a win. Yeah, when it comes to this set, I, I would I would definitely chalk that one. Yeah, because this, this set was not good for Pioneer. So yeah, your number five, Rude Halo. 
okay. would say this one was kind of a miss. And I, it's uh, kind, kind of, of a surprising one. I expected it to show up a little bit, not a ton, and it really hasn't shown up at all. I think there's a possibility we see it in the future. Uh, I do think the control decks are going to look cool and very interesting in the uh, in this new set because they got a lot of new toys. I, I think the bigger thing for Rune Halo is it's going to need another big payoff for Mono White Devotion. With okay. Walking Ballista being okay. banned and Heliod Ballista being gone, that deck you know, just doesn't have the power to, to keep up. But if there's some other big payoffs here for being a Mono White Devotion deck because Nykthos is so good... But you need something on top of Nykthos because Green has the, you know, these really good Planeswalkers. Uh, then I think Rune Halo can do something. Um, your okay. number, uh, what is it, four? Your number yeah, four. Yeah, we're number four. I think we're number four. Yeah, four, four. You're, yeah, your number four is a Demonic Embrace. We've seen this yeah. a little bit in the Model Black Aggro deck. I think people have moved away from it, but it's occasionally a one of. I'll kind of, I'll, this one's kind of a, a wash. Yeah. It's, yeah. Number three is. Uh, Conclave Mentor. This one hasn't seen much play, but if you recall back to that show, and I do, we both had this on our list, and we noted that it really needs to be in uh, a, a Pioneer environment that has an extra green-white dual land, right? And we were both expecting that to eventually show up. Uh, it will now with Zendikar Rising. So I'm I'm saying the jury is still out here, and I'm expecting this to be a hit by the time we are doing our next set review. Then we have Eliminate. This one's definitely a hit. This seen significant play. That's number two. Your under, uh, your overrated card was Conspicuous Snoop. Uh, and I'll, I'll say this is a hit for you because it really hasn't seen any play. I thought it had some potential in the like Bushwhacker deck, which is mainly goblin oriented anyway. Hasn't really elevated that deck, so not good enough. Um, you know, obviously it's seen play in modern, but we all knew that was going to happen. Um, your underrated. This is probably your biggest hit among the set. Because you, you pegged Shacklegeist, and that has become a staple yeah. of the Spirits decks. So, mm-hmm. good job there. And your number one card in the set, Containment Priest, that one's definitely a whiff. Yeah, <laughs> that one's been a whiff. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, maybe there's a chance for it to eventually be a cyber yeah. card, but... So yeah, yeah, we'll have right to see now. what happens. Uh, my top eight. We've got number eight for me was Bassery Cat, so I said, yep, that's a whiff for us both. Number seven, I had Garrick Unleashed. I was really high on this card during preview season, and it's you just were. not better than Vivian. I think four mana is just so much nowadays. Yeah. Like, I think I also undervalued the how good the minus three on Vivian is. I, I've played Vivian so many times where I've gotten into that feel bad situation where I needed a threat and I drew a Vivian, and it just didn't really do anything. And so I was excited to have one that was similar to Vivian at forcing through damage, but could also be a threat. And it turns out that you know actually the situations where Vivian is a removal spell are so important that it ends up being better. And then in Pioneer, it's that third point of devotion as well. Uh, my number six is Rune Halo as well, so another miss. My number five, I also had Demonic Embrace. That's our, our push. To be four. fair, to be fair, real quick, I forgot Rune Halo was even the damn set. And I drafted <laughs> the hell out of that set, like like so much. I just never saw the card. Like I just forgot it was a card. Good. Well, definitely not a uh, not a card you want to really draft that often. Though it is just a grizzly bear. So it usually makes your deck. I meant uh, Rune Halo. Oh, no, Rudy, I was thinking, I was looking at the chat. Yeah, Rune Halo, yeah, that's definitely not a card that makes your draft deck. Uh, Number three for me, uh, or number four, was Conclave Mentor. So that's our wait and see. Uh, My number three, Containment Priest. We had a lot of overlap on on the last show. Um, So missed there. My number two, and this is my big hit, is Lofty Denial. And we went back and forth on this one. 
uh, and I've been proven right. So check that. Uh, one all I'm gonna say is we haven't seen that much spirits in the last couple weeks. So, but spirits I'm gonna give you as this a one. deck. You, I agree, you, has fallen off, but I'll it give is you a staple one. in the spirits archetype. You, you are correct. Um, my overrated Teferi Master time has seen Plant Standard, hasn't really seen Plant Pioneer, and that was kind of an iffy area. I think everybody expected it to not be, you know, it wasn't going to supplant Chase the Mind Sculptor in Modern, and it was definitely going to see Plant Standard. Where where was it going to fall in Pioneer? I didn't expect it to see play. It really hasn't. Even in the, like, the, the Planeswalker decks, you know, like Jeskai Luka, that seems like a deck that would want the effects of Teferi, uh, you know, hasn't been good enough. Uh, my underrated, this one I'm calling a hit as well, Selfless Savior, um, has definitely seen play in different Luris decks. Um, uh, hasn't seen play as much in the Wainota decks in Pioneer like it saw in Standard, because those decks have mana creatures. Um, but I'll, I'll, let's say I'll call this a wash. You know, it's definitely, you know, it's there, it'll continue to be there. Uh, and then my number one was Eliminate, so a hit there. So really we've got your Shacklegeist in the underrated versus my Lofty Denial in the two. And I'm gonna, give myself the edge there i think you have to give yourself the edge because of how badly you got beaten in akoria well i just got yorian in akoria you just missed yorian like completely yeah i actually i i was skeptical of the whole companion thing and i was wrong (laughs) well i mean to be fair i think everyone was wrong like there was almost no one that was like this is the most broken thing they've ever done all of us were like yeah there was sam black who who basically said said that i said almost from from the outset I mean, all of us were kind of like, what the fuck? You know, like when it came up, we're like, wait, like, why would I not do this? And then we saw the stipulations. We're like, oh, like, whatever. But yeah, I think I, I think I got a little soured because the first two they revealed were Lutri and Umori, which were the two bad like, ones. And so like, we oh, played, this looks like commander stuff. Yeah. yeah. Like, so we played with them on verses and they just weren't good. And I was like, yeah, like, I, I just don't think these are good. And then it took us a while to start playing with the other ones. And uh, yeah, they were they were really good. Yep. So, but I, I'm going to chalk up. Yeah, I'll tell you what, I'll give you a little slight edge on this one. You, you win slightly. I'm going to chalk it up to that set just being poor overall for Pioneer. Like, there's maybe some stuff in the future, but we, we set it kind of on the show. We didn't think it was going to have, like, huge, huge impacts. And, I mean, we're kind of right. I will say this. I'm pretty excited about this set, and I do think this set will have a much bigger impact. Than, I, um, I very much agree. Of course I, um, I, don't, I don't think it's at the level of Ikoria, but... Right. I, I, well, if you take out the companions from Akoria, right? Sure. Like if you, you just take it out, really, like, you're, can't yeah, you're looking, you, you can't do that. I'm saying, if you, if you look past that, especially with the change that's happened since, like, overall, it wasn't huge or anything either, because, like, Mutate just missed so hard. Yeah, Mutate missed. Was, Shark Typhoon was the big hit that we yeah, both Shark missed Typhoon. from Akoria. I'll say this. I remember looking at the spoiler and, like, hearing other people's thoughts on the set, and, like, no one had that card, like, super high, and I was like, maybe I'm wrong. You know what those things, like, when everyone, like, you know, maybe, no, it's the kids that are wrong. You know, am yeah, I out yeah. of touch? No. And it, I had that. I had, like, the imposter syndrome thing where I was like, no one's talking about this card being good. Like, no one thinks it's great. And I was like, man, because here's the thing. I remember playing control decks with Decree of Justice, and I was like, this card is probably better than Decree of Justice. Like, I was thinking it, that, like, blue. as a finisher, like, you just don't want to lose your one big shark to a removal spell. And yeah, like, you gained a card, but that's not a huge deal. But it turns out that, like, the big body is just really good at, at blocking, which made it a better offensive tool. And then, obviously, the evasion is nice. And really, like, I, I think both, I think Decree of Justice would be a good card in standard now, too. So it's like, you know, both are good. And I remember playing a little bit with that during previous season on Versus Live. And every time we played it, we had, like, two in a deck. And we yeah. did it initially kind of for the meme because it was, you know, Sharknado. And it was yeah. just good every time we played it. And after the third time, Corey and I kind of looked at each other and we were just like, is this card just really good? It's just good. We're yeah, like, it's yeah just good. I, it might be. It, it took us a little while, uh, but but we came around to it because it just, it, it just kept impressing us like literally every time. 
you're saying that mono white devotion need another big payoff give them decree of justice like probably wait till shark <laughs> out of the format but give them decree of justice or whatever so but with that let's go ahead and move into uh the new set let's talk about some new cards and uh i don't know who do you have up first uh we could do either or yeah hey surprise me uh let's do you first and sure. here's tannin's number eight on the screen now undue invasion so, all right, so this is one of the things that I kind of alluded to while we were talking earlier, and um, maybe not this card 100% specifically, though I do think this card is good and we'll see play. The fact that this card is a land on the other side is what really sells it, because paying eight mana to destroy all nine land permanents, why would we ever do that when there's way cheaper versions of the card that exist? But we don't have versions of this card that you can play on turn one, two, or three as a tapped planes, right? And I think this card is very, very good. And we'll see play in the control decks, depending, right? Like, if your deck is super Planeswalker heavy, like, maybe not, right? But if you're looking at the classic blue-white decks with, you know, Sharknado and a bunch of counter spells, like, if that, if that deck gets playable, you know, the Esper versions that we've seen, I can see them having a copy of this in every version, you know. And, and maybe, maybe even two. more than that. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I, I think you start, like, you'll see some of the first lists, like, you'll start with, like, one or two, they'll try it out. Or maybe someone just jams four. Because they're like, I, I want to see what this card does, like, right? I want to see how good this card is. That's the thing that I think you have to realize about these cards. That's the benefit of them. Because normally when you think about this kind of effect, I, I sort of look at this effect and I just think Ugin immediately. You know, both yeah. eight mana, they're both just kind of wipe the battlefield. But I can't like, put well, Ugin as a land. Yeah, yeah, yeah Ugin. But, and, it, you know, if you, a control deck might play one Ugin, right? You could see it. You could see, If I saw an Azorius yeah. control deck in Pioneer and had an Ugin in it, I'm like, okay. You know, they're worried about all these Planeswalkers, whatever. Yeah, and I would too. That that's cool, and they don't, they you only get to play the one. This is a card that lets you play more of the copies, so you're going to have it more often, and that's the really without having it languish in your hand. So that's the thing that's really beneficial. So I think if you're going to play this card, you have to play multiple copies. Yeah, and so like the thing is like when I look at cards, I like to evaluate them from floor to ceiling. You know, like what's its floor and what's its ceiling, and the floor of this just being a land is so much higher than any card ever where you're just like, I, I don't have a reason to have this card in my deck. Like there's no good, you know what I mean? It doesn't fit well anywhere. Like it doesn't actually have an impact. But the fact that like you can have 30 something lands in your deck now without playing 30 something lands, you know what I mean? Like, you know, and the other side of it is the fact that, yeah, on turn eight, I might just cast this and kill three things or whatever, or, you know, reset the board because your decks are generally good at surviving that long, you know, just having this extra sweeper in your deck. So I like this card a lot. And this is one of the ones I kind of waffled back on fourth one because, like, we could come back and be like, this card was a major hit and it's just in, like, lots of decks and lots of formats. Or we could be like, yeah, yeah, like, these just didn't pan out the way we thought they were. For me with this card, you know, being able to play multiples seems really nice. I think it is particularly good to have this in a format where one of Azuri's Control's biggest problems is mono green Planeswalkers. (laughs) You know, it's going to be really helpful in that matchup. I imagine casting this to kill a lot of my opponent's permanents that aren't creatures. You know what I mean? The cards that give you big... Because, like, that's the general, like, crux of blue-white control decks is when they resolve, you know, an enchantment, a planeswalker, an artifact that's problematic, and you're looking at your deck that has a bunch of supreme verdicts in it, you know, or ways to kill creatures, and you're like, well, I can't also clean up this... You know, I can't tell you how many times of blue-white control I lost to the green-red monsters deck, not because of the creatures, but they also had Domri Raid, right? Because, like... I could I could answer the creatures and I couldn't answer Domri, or I could answer Domri and I couldn't I died to the last creature, you know, kind of thing. And it, this really does help you clean up those planeswalkers. It hits everything but the lands that Nissa animates, right? So that's your your one issue. So you can you can prioritize then countering Nissa. 
You know, yeah. you can let yourself fall behind a little bit to the other threats if you know that you have this to catch up. And that gives you a very definite plan that you know is going to clean up everything. Um, so that seems sweet to me. Um, it, it is something that you can cast at instant speed with Teferi, which is also I, pretty yeah. cool. Yeah. So then, you know, yeah, you lose your baby Teferi, but then you get to untap and cast big Teferi on a clear board. Whenever I see cards like this, I immediately think of Quicken, which then makes me think of Teferi because of like how much I played the, the Quicken Planar Cleansing deck. And like, you could just go hard on that deck if you want. Just play Teferi's and Quicken and just churn through your deck. Because here's the thing. You have a few more slots for spells now since your spells are also lands. So that's, that's like kind of like the alluding to the thing you said is like, how do we look at our numbers for deck building now? We might be able to cheat in one way or the other. Yeah. And so I, while I don't see this being a card that slots into a lot of decks, because you can't really put this card into decks that play lots of permanents. And outside of that, it really seems like a role player for Azorius Control. But that's a, you know, fringe deck right now in Pioneer who is running into problems against the most popular deck running out a bunch of Planeswalkers. So in the current metagame, it seems to have a really obvious home that I had initially overlooked. I'll be honest, when I initially saw your list and we were putting together the show, I was really skeptical of this one. But the more I think about it, the more I think it has a really defined role and a place to fit in. And I'm, I would be excited as an Azorius control player to try two to three copies of this card in my deck. Exactly. And that's why I have it at number eight. It's like this card isn't going to spawn new archetypes, right? It's not going to immediately be four of in like every deck that can cast it kind of thing. But this is the kind of card that shows up and is like innocuous at first. And then you just, you, you just see it, you know, if, if it ends up working out, you're just going to see it in a lot of lists, right? You're going to see it in a lot of lists of this kind of deck. You know what I mean? So uh, I like this card a lot. I think we're going to see it. What's your number eight? Yeah, my number eight is Magmatic Channeler. And so I know if you were hanging out earlier, Tannen already gave you the spoiler alert that this is on both of our lists. So you will see it on Tannen's coming up sometime later. And I will admit, I I moved this card back. I had it higher initially. And I moved it back because I thought I might be biased because I just love medium is it cards so much. Yeah, you do. And it's this like is such and, a medium is it card. It's like you and Ryan Overturf to start a support group. Yeah. So I, I had this like sort of spidey sense in the back of my head that was like, am I doing it again? Am I doing it again? And I pushed it back and I might end up you know, losing points when we review ourselves in three months. Yeah, hey, like, you still have it on the list. Uh, yeah, but like, if you have it higher, that's a that's a tiebreaker. So, like, you know, right now you you have a tiebreaker if this card hits, and if it whiffs, then you know we're even. So I'm already behind. But as far as Magmatic Channeler goes, obviously this card plays really well with Arclight Phoenix. You know, you get to play, I, and I think people have tried Thing in the Ice so much, and is it Phoenix in Pioneer? And what you have to realize is Thing in the Ice just isn't good in Pioneer. <laughs> Yeah. Fatal Push is super popular because there's no Lightning Bolt. You know, Thing is very good against Bolt, not good against Push. And without a Bolt, you know, I, you know, there are red decks that do play, you know, two damage spells or whatever. It survives those. But without, the big thing is without the free spells, without Mana Morphos, without Surgical Extraction, without Gut Shot, you were just never transforming it on turn three. And that was the powerful thing you did with Thing in the Ice, uh, in, in Modern that you just aren't doing in Pioneer. It just wasn't a good card in the format. It isn't a good card. And that's something I actually called from the very beginning. If you go back and watch the very first Versus Live that we did of Pioneer, I played an Is It Phoenix deck that did not have Thing in the Ice, and we had a you know five-minute-long discussion about why I thought the card was bad in Pioneer. And I was 100% right the entire time. And the other things that people have tried just haven't really worked. And I think the most successful builds of Is It Phoenix have actually been a heavy self-mill, which is just kind of a gimmick. 
But, but Magmatic Channeler does a lot of things that are really cool. Like, it gains card advantage initially. It can play a little defensive and it's a 1-3 against an aggro deck. That's actually important because Arclight Phoenix turns the corner really effectively. Whereas, uh, you know, but if you're falling behind, you know, sometimes you can use the Phoenixes defensively, but sometimes you can't. And so this card being able to block a little bit against the two ones, really nice. Magmatic Channeler, you know, when it's it sets up your Arclight Phoenixes, and then the turn that you're ready to bring them back, it's probably a 4-4. Four, four. And so it really lets you turn the corner even more. So it gets to play that that dual role. And honestly, like once you've generate once you've triggered your Phoenixes, you probably don't need to be activating Channeler for even more card advantage. You've done your thing and you just want to end the game. So it actually has a very natural and very good play pattern to it because it's it the way you want to play with it is also the way you want your deck to play. So there, there's a natural synergy in how the card and the deck play out. That I like quite a bit. And it's something that a lot of people overlook with given cards because it, it's a subtle thing to realize, like, you know, how is this card going to play out? But it really works with this card. So that's where I'm excited with it. That said, you know, there's... I, I kind of compare this card to Dreadhorde Arcanist, uh, except the thing I... It does do the, th- the thing that I hate about Dreadhorde Arcanist, or it doesn't do that thing in that this one actually eventually clocks them. Yeah, it doesn't but, just attack for one every turn. Yeah. <laughs> but unlike Dreadhorde Arcanist, there's some variance here. With Arcanist, you get to cast, like, you know, whatever spell you want to target. With this card, like, you're at the mercy of the top of your deck... But you can mitigate that, I think, with deck building, which is why I'm excited about that card. Sometimes you just get to, like, draw a million cards a turn. You know, if you pitch an Arclight Phoenix to this, hit a land drop that you get to make, because you can play lands off of this, and, um, you know, and then, or pick a spell, whichever one you want, because you only get to pick one, you've generated, you know, an extra card. And then there's things like, you know, Fiery Temper, you know, you can do other graveyard shenanigans with it. I honestly think you could put this card into like Rakdos Pyromancer and try to do things with it that way. Um, so uh, there, I think there's more homes for it than just is it Phoenix because there's definitely plenty of cheap spells. And the biggest thing for me is that like once you're done activating it a bunch, it being a four four to close the game is really important. And so that that's where I'm excited about the card. But I, I got a little uh, gun shy because it's an is it card. Well, I'm obviously less gun shy than you are, and I will talk about this card a little bit later. Okay. Yeah. We're go- well, you want to save it until we see it oh, on, yeah. on your list. Okay. I agree well, with pretty much everything you said, but you know, I'll, I'll say a few things. I'll try to keep it short because I don't want to, like, you know, rehash too much. But yeah. Go ahead. Okay. Well, we'll we'll get Tannen's thoughts on it later, and we'll move on to the seventh or card number seven, I should say, on his list. And hopefully, I remember the hotkey correctly, and I do. God, I'm a genius. <laughs> I can click buttons so well. And uh, so this one for me, um, Forsaken Monument. Yeah, Forsaken Monument. Let's read the card first. Sure, go ahead. Uh, So it is a five mana legendary artifact. It says, colorless creatures you control get plus two, plus two. It also says, whenever you tap a permanent for colorless, add an additional colorless. And whenever you cast a colorless spell, you gain two life. Now, I'll admit, Tannen, when I saw this card, it piqued my interest. There's a lot of powerful stuff going on here. But And it, this is the card that I've kind of set on the back burner because I knew I wanted to see the entire set. I wanted to know everything I could do with it uh, if there was potentially more. And it's a card that I need to, I'm going to need to purposely sit down, be on Scryfall, do a bunch of searches to know exactly like what the tools are available because it, it's obviously a card that needs a very specific shell. So do you have a specific shell in mind for it or are you kind of going off of that same intrigue of, wow, this card is doing a lot of powerful stuff? Uh, and the answer to both those questions is yes. Uh, so, <laughs> so here's the best part, right? Um, yeah. Here, here's the big thing. It, you know, I'm known as a Delver player. Like, I'm known as a Tron player. 
But what people don't secretly know is that I have a Eldrazi tattoo on my left cheek, you know, in the back. Uh, I'm That's true. I can obviously. confirm. Yeah, you can confirm. I'm actually secretly an Eldrazi fan. Uh, I, I've i done very well with Eldrazi cards and, you know, my history. But like, I actually, you know, have some very high finishes of Bant Eldrazi, won some PTQs with it. I didn't play through Eldrazi Winter because I wasn't playing Magic at the time. But I am a sucker for very powerful undercosted cards. And Eldrazi are generally that, right? And this is just Eldrazi Monument. This is what you know that card is. If we if we had it in the Monument um, scheme from that set, but yeah, I have some shells in mind when I think of this. But I think this card is insanely powerful, right? Like it reads very powerful, and then it's going to play very powerful, most likely as well. Like obviously it'll be a brick at some points, and like you have to worry about the part that's legendary when you draw extra copies of it. That's like whatever, though, right? And I start thinking about this and what decks want it, and I think this could spawn a new archetype in Pioneer, or a new, like, at least tier two deck that's fun and good, and if you own these cards, because, you know, you think about, like, the colorless creatures in this format that are good, right? Like, missing Walking Ballista is a, I think if Walking Ballista was legal, this card would be way higher on my list, you know, just because that card's absurd, it's an automatic four of, but you're thinking of, like, Stone Coil Serpent, you're thinking of, um, what's the card I asked you for the name of earlier, I literally just blanked again, um, uh, the creature comes back from the graveyard for black mana. Um, scrap Heap Scrounger. Yeah, you get like Scrap Heap Scrounger. And then you have like other Eldrazi stuff. You have like Eldrazi Displacer, which is a good way to sync your mana, which this card helps as well. You know, because this card generates extra mana. So that's a, that's a big deal too. You need a mana sync is what you were you and I were talking about. Um, yeah. Thought Not Seer, just any, you know, uh, Reality Smasher. Like all these cards. Can you imagine like 7-7 seven, seven Reality Smashers coming at you? Like when they're not even tapping that many lands to cast it, you know, or permanents, you know, if you, if you play some permanent that produces extra colorless mana. So... Lots of cool stuff here. And then I started thinking about the lands, right? Like, we have the pain lands in this format. So it's not hard for you to play colors in your deck. Like, I immediately thought of, like, Black Battle Drazi. You know, cards like, you know, Thoughtseize and or Fatal Push in your deck with, you know, Caves of Koilos. And then you could have Eldrazi Displacer and then all the, you know, colorless stuff. And then you have some some lands that work in here, too. Like, uh, what is it? Seagate? Uh, Seagate Oracle? There's a million or, different colorless lands. Yeah, there's a million different yeah. color lands that, that also have abilities, right? Like, you can just play these lands in your deck. Like, think about... Eldrazi Tron in Modern, right? And how all the lands kind of have a purpose in it and that they either do something, you know, like they destroy yeah. their lands. Or, or they're effectively you know, tri-lands that are untapped, yeah. which is also really powerful. Yeah, and yeah, or they're tri-lands, or they, they generate extra mana for you, which we don't have Eldrazi Trump Temple in this set, but then this makes your lands into Eldrazi Temple. Like, while that's the busted part of that deck, in Modern, the fact that you have a land that taps for two, you don't necessarily have to have that in this format for this deck to be good, Right. So I think this card is very good and has the potential to spawn a different archetype that we haven't seen yet, right? Like this kind of Eldrazi, you can go mid-range, you can go aggro, like, you know, Eldrazi Mimic is legal, so you can just go like that kind of thing, like all all that was that? Oh, Sebastian Orion in, in the chat, Mutavault is a 4-4. Yeah, Mutavault's <sighs> a 4-4. Like I was going <sighs> to say, we have, we, have, we have a lot of, like, I, the more I think about this card is like, I think this is going to be the one. And maybe not on the next show when the next set comes out, but this is going to be the one where, like, a year from now, I'm going to be like, "Hey, remember when I mentioned this card on my list?" Here's yeah, the- th- this could be a big, a big winner for you. And uh, I'm, I'm kicking myself for not thinking more about it because I, I agree with you that there's, there's a, a lot of potential here. Um, I will say when I look at this, I think you've got to make a choice. You, the, you, it's really the first two abilities that are most powerful. I think we can both agree on that, right? You know, the third is kind of the bonus. But you can't, you can't really take full advantage of both of those abilities at the same time. Those are two pretty different directions. So you got to lean towards one or the other. 
And I think it, you've got to lean towards the top one, the, the double anthem, and then try to find backdoor ways to take advantage of the extra mana. And your your utility lands are actually a good way of doing that because there's a great mana sinks and they're going to be in play when you have this. And even if, even if your opponent like, you know, rats you, you're going to have things to do. Uh, so utility lands are, are a great way to do that. Displacer is a great way to do that. So you already have some easy ways. So I think you're you're better off leaning more towards the the first one. And there's a couple ways to do it. I think one is to just be kind of an artifact aggro deck, and that's. Going to be kind of like, I think, in Soul, but a little bit less explosive, but a little more resilient in the way it plays out. And this is going to be the top-end card. But the way that I, I think is actually better, and the way that I'd be interested in trying, is going towards some uh, a, essentially a Pioneer version of Bantaldrazi. And it doesn't necessarily have to be Bant, but a Mana Acceleration aggro deck. You know, the the, the classic play a Llanowar Elf, play Threats Ahead of Curve kind of thing. We have two Llanowar Elves. So that means you got to be base green, and I'm I'm going to be going by the mana here. And if you look at the pain lands that we have, the green ones are green, blue, and green, black. So I'm actually thinking of trying to go Sultai, and you get to you still get to play um, um, Eldrazi Sky Spawner, and that's cool because it, you get two creatures to pump with the Forsaken Monument. And I think more recently they printed a green one that does the same thing, but it doesn't fly. It's a two-two for two and a green that makes a one-one. Can can that uh can that get confirmed by anyone? I think that I think that is also so. If the mana doesn't work for blue and like you you can still play the one in green, so that's kind of cool. Getting multiple bodies to get double double anthem that's a, that's a great synergy. Um, and I think that the mana acceleration plan is great just for landing this early. And I also want to be playing Ugin the Ineffable as the actual top end. Yeah, I'm 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 in for Ugin the Ineffable. Yeah. Like that was the, on my list the of cards. It makes already. a four fours now yeah. with this thing that draw cards when they die. Like, you could you could build Karn decks with this too. Like yeah. there's, there's there's I mean because like you can go like think about this even if you just need to like you know untap a Karn and jump up you can go get Dark Soul Citadel if this is in play and now Dark Soul Citadel just becomes a Soul Land you know out of your out of your sideboard like even something as small as that to ensure that you can cast your next spells right. So I'm a big fan of like all the ways that this can work. Even thinking about this like the the most popular or the quote unquote like one of the best decks right now competitively. In Pioneer is just uh, I, I literally kind of blanking cards so bad because of the new stuff is Wilderness Reclamation. Sorry, and can you imagine playing against somebody that goes like Thought Not Seer into Reality Smasher against you? Like that is your nightmare. Thought Not Seer is a great it. card against them, and yeah. just a really powerful card in general. It's very good against aggro decks. It's very good against control decks. It's it's always been the best of that. You know, of all those Eldrazi that got printed and got played in the broken Eldrazi Winter deck, Thought Not Seer was the best one. Yeah, Thought Seer is one of my like favorite cards of all time, and it's one of the more messed up card designs of all time. I, I remember t- testing for that Pro Tour, and we had liked Burn, and so that was one of the early decks in our gauntlet, and we were playing with it, and we started playing with the Eldrazi deck because we had heard whisperings of it, and uh, the first time somebody cast a Thought Seer against me on turn two when I was playing uh, Burn, I was like, can I ever beat this card? I just looked at it, I was like, well, I can't bolt it. It took a burn spell from me. It stops all of my attacks. And once they have one, the, on their very next turn, they get to play another big creature and then attack me. And I'm just like, yeah, I'm, it just does everything. And it costs two somehow. It's like when I played a lot of Tron, right? And the deck that I was most worried about, or one of the most decks that I was wor- most worried about was burn, because burn just gets to, you know, destroy you, right? Like they get to just goldfish you. And, you know, I always have, like, Thrag Tusk in my sideboard and all these other cards that gain life. People are like, oh, these are pretty good, right? I'm like, yeah, but they generally don't have a big enough effect on the game to win. I'm like, Thought Nutsier was the card you wanted to draw. Like, that card, 
if you if you cast it on turn three with anything else, like you did anything else, you were way ahead in the game, right? And stuff like that. So I think that we have seen a criminal small amount of thought that's here get cast in Pioneer, especially the fact that it, you know, kind of sidesteps a lot of the removal in this format. You know, it's, you can't just straight up fatal push it. Like there's not a lot of burn spells that deal four. Eliminate doesn't kill this. Also dodges eliminate. Oh, it doesn't yeah, dodge okay. Heartless Act. Yeah, it doesn't dodge Heartless Act. But I mean, here's the thing. If there's spending that mana on this and you're seeing their hand and stuff, you're fine if you have any kind of card advantage going to this. And I, you know, I've been thinking about this, like you play the, you play the black castle in your deck too, if you're playing black as well, you know, cause you're going to have a lot of, you're going to have a lot of mana left over here and you're probably playing uh, Ur- Urborg in your deck as well, you know, cause these decks generally have that saying cast their spells and stuff a little more often. I don't know. I, this is one of the cards that I look at and I, it just screams, break me, you know, it just screams like build a deck around me, build, be great. Um, yeah. You, you've you've got to accelerate though. Like the the key for these for every successful Eldrazi deck was cheap mana acceleration, and it was broken when it had like the really good lands. It was good in modern for a while, and it just had noble hierarch and temple. You know you don't have temple here, so I think you absolutely need it to start your deck with land or elf elvish mystic. Uh, but once you do that, I, I can see you doing some cool stuff. Yeah, there's even like uh what's the red Eldrazi that steals their creature? Like it's I'm thinking fair. about even that one. It's just it's a three one haste, so you can like beat down with it, but like can you imagine like they tap out for Niv Mizzet, draw four cards, and you're like, oh, LOL kill you. You're like, take your Niv Mizzet with this thing, attack you for eleven. The, the problem I see there is you don't have Carpus and Forest, but um, Yeah, we don't have well yeah. It's definitely a card I, I, I would like. I'm just wondering if the if the mana is gonna work. Yeah, um, the mana's probably not gonna work. I forgot that we don't have Carpus and Forest. You do have Fable Passage, which can find all your colors and a one wastes. So Fable Passage, I think, will be a pretty big part of this mana base. You're probably going to be playing more than one waste. We'll see uh, with, 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 with how this works. But um, was there a, a colorless land that's a, that's a spell as well in the set? I didn't see if there was one. I need to check that, too. Because, like, honestly, like you said, I'm going to go through the Gatherer and just look at colorless cards and look at colorless lands. And yeah, you you also get it. access to Unclaimed Territory. That's mm-hmm. a cool one because it can also be a turn one green source for your elves. And oh, then yeah, just right. for colorless for the Eldrazi. Oh, there's a there's a lot of really cool stuff. So, uh, yeah, there's a man, there's a creature land in this set. Let's let's use that phrase. Fantastic there's a creature colors, land yeah. in this set. So, super excited about it. I think this card's gonna be great. The problem, one of the problems with it is like I kind of wanted to like pre-order some of these because like you know I was like oh I think this is something that's gonna you know probably spike up in value. It's already gonna be too high because of commander because this is definitely a commander card as well. And it's and a stuff, mythic. So, and it's a mythic, so you can't go super deep in it. But I don't know. Looks great. What's your number seven? I don't want to spend too much time on just one card, <laughs> but I know you—you you did seem like you're—you're you're got intrigued by this card more, and I—I I, I did. I've gotten intrigued by both of the, both of your first two. Though Forsaken Monument was a card that you know intrigued me when I first read it. Uh, I just hadn't taken the time to think about it, so uh, I'm in for both of them. So my number seven, as I've just seen pop up on the screen, is Swarm Shambler. Um, a card that I actually I like quite a bit. I'm going to be playing it in standard tomorrow on versus. Um, so this is a single green mana for a zero, zero fungus beast enters the battlefield with a plus one plus one counter on it. So effectively a one mana, one, one it says whenever a creature you control with a plus one plus one counter on it becomes the target of a spell at opponent controls, create a one, one green insect creature token. Also one tap, put a plus one plus one counter on swarm shambler. So it's got that kind of hanger back Walker, uh, you know, leveling ability, but it's just a one, one. Obviously this card is supposed to play well with hardened scales. Conclave Mentor, Walking Ballista, or not, um, uh, Winding Constrictor. Uh, those scales decks took a big hit losing Walking Ballista, and they kind of have to reform because of that, because Walking Ballista was their big piece of interaction, and if they're not going to have good interaction, they need to be really aggressive. So I think getting another one drop 
in particular, very good. This is a one drop that is going to do, you know, going to get a little bit bigger as the game goes on. You know, even if it starts as a 1-1, you really only need to activate it once if you have a scale in play. Now it's really big enough to rumble. It's a 3-3, it's a and it can easily get significantly bigger than that. And I actually, you look at that second ability, I honestly th- think that's the one that you under that people are going to underrate. And in a vacuum, it's not that strong, right? Just getting, you know, a 1-1, uh, getting a 1-1. But in the scales deck, everybody is super relevant. Because yeah, you're they playing need to kill all your like, creatures, yeah. You're playing things like Vivian Arcbow Ranger. You're playing things like Nissa uh, Voice of Zendikar. That's the big one. I think Swarm Shambler and Nissa Voice of Zendikar are just best friends. Uh, just you know, getting bodies that you're gonna not, not just put one counter on, but really two or three because of the, your scale synergies. You're also playing, uh, I think, in the Selesnia version, which is something I want to try now that we have the an actual real dual land. In that Selesnya version, I think you're going to want to play Venerated Loxodon. And when you're playing Loxodon, you know, not only do you want to have bodies around if they're killing your stuff early, you also want to have one drops. So the card plays super well with Nyssa and Venerated Loxodon, which are cards that I want to lean into in my scales decks in Pioneer after having lost Walking Ballista. So this is a card that I really think helps enable those, those strategies because it doesn't do the thing that you used to do, but it does the thing that you need to do now that you have, you don't have access to Ballista. Does that make sense? Absolutely. I like this card a lot. This is like you know, my short list of cards that just missed. Yeah. And I think this card's good. No, for sure. You kind of, you know, nailed it. <laughs> yeah, that's just what Swarm Shambler does. It does. Like, you know, at one mana, it just does a lot of little things. And I, mm-hmm. I like that. I think you're, you're going to see a little bit of a theme on my list. There's a lot of cheap spells. Yeah. You know, when I'm trying to build a list for a bigger format than standard, I'm less interested in cards that cost six and more interested in, card, in cards that cost one and two. Well, the cards I've previewed so far are an eight drop and a five drop, so <laughs> <laughs> so we'll see what happens. Well, you, right. you previewed a land and a five drop, yeah. So, well, so te- technically, yeah. Let's let's see if I can do a little better on the mana cost here of my number six. Okay, number six for Tannen is Skyclave Apparition. Yeah, Another a little card bit better. With a ton of text. Yeah, a little bit better on the uh, on the casting cost here, but this is a one in white and white for a two two core spirit. So the spirit uh, part of it very relevant, uh, right? Um, and this is one of the cards that we've seen kind of these this ilk in the past, but I like this one a lot because it says uh, when it enters the battlefield, exile up to one target non land non token permanent you don't control with converting mana cost four or less. So lots of big th- you know big things to be hitting here. Um, and then it says when it leaves the battlefield. The XL card's owner creates an XX blue illusion where X is converted mana cost, the card that left, right? So since these are two separate sentences, I do want to make sure that people know that these are two different triggers. So you could do the age, like the trick we used to do with these cards back in the day, and they've shied away from where you can play it, put the ability on the stack and flicker it in some way, blink it, flicker it, whatever phrase you want to call it, you know, remove it from play. And the card is just gone. And they do, they do not get the other, the other end of it because when it leaves, the card doesn't come back yet, so like they don't get the they don't get the token, right? Yeah, I, mean, well, I think they rights, would get a zero zero token. If they have, yeah, they like, get a zero zero play. Token, yeah. I think sure. I think they get a zero zero. If there's nothing to check, it probably makes a zero zero. But not sure. Either way, they're not getting anything that lasts. Well, does the card have to have the casting cost of zero? If there's no card, then it doesn't have a casting cost. So that's not if there's no, zero. but it's it's CMC. So I think if there's no card there, it puts in a CMC of zero. Sure, that makes sense. And so it's kind of like you know lands they don't have one, but they technically have zero. So okay, that makes sense. So, um, 
I just like this card, right? It's it's something that spirits needed in the past was a spirit that removed a creature from play, like did something to something that's in play, right? Like the biggest thing that I've I, I've always I've always said is I like spirits. Have you ever played that deck against a fairy? It's not, it, not good. It's not good, right? And you don't have a good way to answer the Teferi, right? Your only way to answer it generally is putting more creatures into play, right? And so here's the thing. If you put if you if you put this into play to kill their Teferi, it's just gone. Like this just exiles the card forever. Like they don't get it back, like Oblivion Ring in the past. Yeah, they get a creature, but like who cares? Like you're usually your life tells under under duress. Also, you're playing spirits. So the, the the thing they get is a is a giant thing on the ground, right? They're gonna get like a three or four, three three or four four on the ground. Who cares? Like you're flying over the million two twos and two ones. So like you're not gonna it's not gonna matter in this. I do think this card has a big possibility showing up in eternal formats as well, quite a bit. But this is a card that I think could just be a really solid role player in a few decks in the format. Plus, if you ever play into the collected company decks, if they ever make a Bant one, I think this the card shows up in those as well. Yeah, like you know Bant spirits and Pioneer. <laughs> well, I'm saying if like there's ever like, you know, we had the, like a more mid range one, you know, back in the day with like tireless tracker. It had some of the the spirits part, yeah. Because like reflector mage is still a legal card, by the way, that was banned in its day, and like that card is still legal in this format. And so you know, the reflector mage is also a wizard for party. Yep, which is one of the harder types to get. But um, yeah, and the, yeah, for yeah. sure. I, I will note, Embaro15 comes in our chat, says that it makes a 0-0, but you can't determine who the owner of it is because there was no card under it, so the token isn't created. That makes sense to me. So if they're right, that means like if your opponent is a sacrifice deck and has ways to take advantage, you're not going to give up even that minor synergy. Um, I, I agree with you. I, I love this card. Uh, and spoiler alert, you'll, you'll see it on my list coming up later. So I'll spare my thoughts until then about the card specifically, but now I will say how much I love this move towards this kind of templating. And, and it's not, yeah. not this, I don't, I don't mean the, the old Oblivion Ring templating, though in this case it is necessary. Um, uh, I, I don't really care about that. I just love, rather than have this Oblivion Ring that exiles something until it leaves and they get that specific thing back, that they get something else back. It's such a huge feel bad when you absolutely need to answer something and you're, you're just unable to do it. Um, and it actually made those cards a lot less valuable because people just started having more disenchants around because we, you know, once they started printing disenchants that were stapled onto creatures and other effects, it just made it a lot more easy for you to play them. And so you, you just had them for, you know, oblivion rings and banishing lights and all of those things a lot more often. And it started with the dinosaur one, um, uh, starts with a B, right? It gave them a three, three dinosaur one that you killed it. Ban- it's not Banishing Light. That's the other one. You're thinking of uh, the two-mana one. Banishing Light's yeah. the, 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 the fixed yeah, yeah. Oblivion that was, Ring. What I'm saying is that the, this is the Baffling End. That was the first one go. that I think had this this kind of templating where they got right. something else back. Yeah. And I, lo- I, I, I just love that because it actually gives lets you actually have removal for the things you need to remove. <coughs> Uro. Uh, and, yeah. you know, feel good. Exile Uro, yeah. Yeah. And uh, but while still while still feeling like your opponent can like te- they still get a little bit of a tempo advantage. I think it's a great balance. I love that they moved to that. It does require them to move to this uh, move back to the double trigger templating, um, which you know with baffling end didn't matter because they would still get their three three, so you couldn't do any tricks with it. Uh, but with Skyclave Apparition, it does. That's fine. You know, maybe you'll play this in yeah, some sacrifice decks. No, that's 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 perfectly fine. But definitely slots nicely into spirits decks. So. Uh, yeah. I just wanted to know how much I love that templating. I love yeah. that you actually get to, you know, exile the thing you want to exile. I fucking Uro. Yeah. Two things real quick. Uh, this gets added to the long list of cards that look like they should have flying, but do not. 
<laughs> it's just a floating apparition that doesn't have flying for some reason. And two, someone asked, uh, the real question is, is this card better than deputy attention? I'm going to say yes, hundred percent because of the reasons that we've mentioned it's one color. And I like a two, two better than a one, three in this format. I know shock kills this more often, but I want the higher power in, in a, cause I'm generally going to be beating down with this card. Uh, deputy of detention was a card that when it was spoiled and you saw it, everybody was like, Oh yeah, it's great. It's going to be in all these decks. And that card severely underperformed and underwhelmed its entirety of being legal. In yeah. No, uh, you know, be it being so easy to kill made it a lot worse than detention sphere. And uh, I think Deputy Detention was at its best being a good roadblock against aggro decks. Or if they had to spend the time to kill it, that was good enough. And if they didn't kill it, the 1-3 blocker was good. So that's where you actually where you saw Deputy see most of its play. And you've seen Deputy in the sideboard a lot of Spirits decks. It's it's awkward. Um, I will say, like, the one place where you I think you would see Deputy is specifically against tokens. Where Apparition yeah. obviously does it. That was, that's where it was like it really shined, but then that deck yeah. kind of went the way. All right, you're number six. Number six for me is Seagate Stormcaller. Another card that I think I have a little bit lower than I otherwise would because I'm just gun shy on Is It cards. Um, but I, I, I'll admit this one I actually like, it didn't jump off the page at me when I first read it. Um, and I think it's better than I initially gave it when I first read it. One of the things about it is it it's a bit of a feel bad because you're almost never going to kick this thing. Like so there's a lot of sort of empty text on the card and whenever cards have empty text on them you you tend to underestimate the uh the rest of it because you always think oh, I'm only getting like 80% of a card, right? Um but that 80% is pretty fucking good. So uh I'm still high on it. I will say anytime every time a card like this gets printed, people hype it up as like the next quote snapcaster mage. This is not Snapcaster Mage. It's much more akin to Jace um, Telepath Unbound, or the, what's the, uh, Vryn's Prodigy. Vryn's Prodigy. W- which are very different cards. You know, and the, the differentiating point is one is much better with counter spells because it operates at instant speed. One is much better with discard spells. And you generally don't want to be playing counter spells and discard spells in the same deck if you can avoid it because they play out very differently. Um, and the, you know, this is a value generating creature that plays a lot better with discard spells. I think it, you know, I want to try to build some sort of kind of fishy deck that plays Thoughtseize. That's the card I want to be copying with it. Turn three, you know, double Thoughtseize you. That's what I want to be doing. And I think that is a really, really strong play. I'm not sure how to build the rest of the deck, but that's where I'm going with it. And I think that could be really good. I also think like, you know, you can try some Grixis stuff with it because there's some red cards that, that you can copy that are good. Not not just the removal, but, uh, you know, Claim to Fame and uh, Claim the Firstborn. I'm actually going to be playing this card also tomorrow on Versus in a Yeoman 5 creation. He, he built a Demir Sacrifice deck for Standard. So you can copy Village Rights with this, only sack one creature and get four cards. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. You know, if you can sack the goat to your from your Rider and draw four, like, uh, I'm in. So I I think this card is just a good magic card on rate, and you're going to kick it like once a tournament, and you're going to be so happy when you do, it's going to win the game on the spot. It's going to be awesome. Um, Real quick. So I'm going to talk about this card because it's going to show up on my list later, uh, along with a card that's on your list that I haven't shown yet, which is Magmatic Chandler. I do think they both go well together. This one doesn't work so well with Claim to Fame, the fact that it can't it can't be cast after this one because claim to fame costs three, but you can, you know, you could use it to get this back and then go off with it. But I do think there's possibly a deck with all three of those cards together. Yeah. 
I think you can just do uh, do all of those things. I have Odin's is pointing out that this card does work well with Neoform, and there's some format where they're talking about Neoforming this and then finding dual caster mages because you let the copy resolve, then you get dual caster mage, then you copy the original that's still in the stack, and you keep going, and eventually you get something to give them all haste, and you just combo. Yeah, like you know, that's that's also something people could do with this card, but that's just going to be its own thing. And if that ends up being good, like sure, now it's a combo card in addition to just being a good value card. Also, the uh, the Hoppa mentioned something that I was going to mention when I was talking about this is I do think that you're going to see a really cool play pattern or possibly happen or emerge that I'm, I've am i already sleeved up and got ready to go that I was going to talk about when it comes up where you play a Dreadheart or Arcanist on two and your opponent does something and then you cast this and then Thought sees them three times and the game ends on the spot. Is that is that something you're interested in, Ross? I don't, I, I don't know that if that's... Is, uh... Yeah, that's a it's a thing that uh, so that does this does things. this does make Dreadhorn and Canis a little bit better, and it does add some some power to the clock, like you were talking about. But we can get back to this some more yeah. whenever. Just, uh, I mean, you're going to play it in a deck that just wants more cheap spells. Mm-hmm. I will say this is not the kind of card I will put in an Is It Phoenix deck. Right. This is a card that goes into a deck that's heavily interactive. I want the option to be able to, you know, copy and opt with it. I want like four ops in my deck, but uh, in a Phoenix deck, I want cantrips beyond that. I think in the decks that Stormcaller is in, like opt is just one of the options that you have when your opponent, yeah, when there's nothing to disrupt. More proactive. Yeah. yeah, when it's just like a top deck, right? Uh, or if like your opponent's thought phase you a bunch and you just want to get some more cards, you know, that, that's when you're gonna you're gonna double opt. But it's you're not looking to do that all the time. I want a thought seize. I want to, you know, fatal push two things against my opponent's aggro deck. I want to, you know, double burn spell maybe and go upstairs at that option. You know, that's that's what I want to do with this card. I want to have a lot of interaction, and uh, too much interaction is going to ruin the way Is It Phoenix works because you need to keep the, uh, you know, gas churning. I will say this. There's been a lot of, you know, love and hate for this card. A lot of people think this is super overrated, and there's a very good chance that it is. I'm not saying they're wrong. But a lot of the people that are overrating this card are directly comparing it to Snapcaster Mage, and you need to stop it because we're never getting Snapcaster Mage again. I mean, if, if they do, that's the easiest way to get me out of retirement. I don't care what I'm doing. I'll be back to playing Magic. <laughs> I'll be back to playing competitive Magic and stuff too. But um, we're not going to get that card again. That card was too good. You know, like it was, there's a reason why it's still played a bunch and, you know, it was just a standout card for the longest time. All right. My number five. Let's get this going. Your I'm starving. number five is Scourge of the Skyclaves. So I don't the, read that one. The, the Skyclaves, uh, the, like this this whole like genre, Stormcaller, Skyclaves, all this, like they got some strong cards in the set. And here's another card that I'm excited about that possibly could either reinvigorate an archetype or build a whole new archetype into the format. So one deck that I'm a big, big fan of in Modern, huge fan of, is Death Shadow, right? And when you look at this card, that's like the most apt comparison this card gets. This is kind of what happens in Magic, right? It's kind of like what happens uh, in basketball and in football and in baseball. Anytime you have like a big prospect, like you know, a, co- a guy coming out of college that looks really good, they they compare them to some Hall of Famer, right? You know, they're like, oh, Kobe's the next Jordan, right? Or like Ronald Acuna Jr. is the next Mike Trout, you know, like that kind of thing. And so when you see this, people are like, oh, this is the next Death Shadow. This one's a little bit different, right? It's like symmetrical, so like you need to be playing aggressively with your life total and theirs. But that's generally not super hard to do because there's a lot of things that, you know, can reward you for doing that. Like you have you have a full cycle of lands now, right? Like you have the shock lands, plus you have the new lands in this set that if you want to play them on tap, you can just pay three life, right? Because here's the thing. 
some of these decks, one of the easiest things for them to do is going to be to, you know, get your opponent to like 10, right? Or 11 or 12, then you might peter out from there. But you might only draw one or two Shocklands, so this thing's going to be like a 2-2 two -two for two, right? But if you draw a Shockland and one of these lands, and all of a sudden this thing's just a, you know, is a five, that's pretty big. The problem that it doesn't have, it doesn't have any evasion, which is a big deal in this format. Like, you know, if it had flying, this card would be like absolutely busted. But I do think this is a card that's pretty good. And it's another one where like, you kind of worry because it's like you said, you only, you only use like 80% of the card because I don't think you're going to kicker this one. And it's funny that we have both of these up right now, right? It's like the two drops with the five mana kicker mythics that generally aren't going to happen, right? Like I say that I'm probably going to kick it in the first game I ever play the damn card in because that's just how magic works. But I do think that this card, along with your, I mean, we're just gonna keep saying it, cards like, you know, Thought Seize, and I'm, I'm thinking of Blood Crypt when I see this card. Like, I see this card and I just, Blood Crypt and like Watery Grave just shout out to me. Or maybe you play a red version, I mean, a green version too, with all these cards that like, there's gotta be some more cards in this format that deal some damage to you, but also really aggressively attack your opponent. And that this card can just be a part of, because here's the thing. When you start getting five fives and six sixes for two mana, that is pretty big in this format, right? And yeah, it does get fatal pushed, but this is another card that might make Stubborn Denial playable again in this format. You know, we saw Stubborn Denial a lot early in the format, and we haven't seen it as much because some of those decks aren't as good because you don't have the like one and two drop that get up to, you know, you don't have Termogoyf plus Death Shadow to kind of really turn that card on. And if this has the supporting cast around it of cards, I, I think this is a card that could actually start defining a, a full archetype. Um, yeah, you touched on the couple of points I wanted to make about this card. I think that the biggest one is that it's not, it's a little bit different than Death Shadow. It is a, an aggressive card. That symmetric aspect of its ability really changes what you can do with it. I don't think you could put it in a deck that is at, uh, as threat light as like Grixis Shadow and Modern. I don't think you can mimic the way that that deck is structured or, you know, any of the Shadow decks. I think you have to imagine yourself as being much more creature heavy. You really need to be playing either one mana burn spells or one mana creatures that are attacking on turn two. So you can cast this card on turn two. Because ideally, you, that's what you want to be doing. I do think that the, you know, mythic double, uh, modal double faced cards are cards that unlock it. I don't think it would, I don't think it would be enough to just play shock lands and thought seize. Um, because then you'd have to be playing like a ton of colors. Um, well, you can just play like, here's the thing. Is if your deck is aggressive enough, you can always just play like a, a, a if you're if you have pain lands in your in your color and just pay life. You know what I mean? There, there's a few extra ways that are like quote unquote free to like put into your deck, or you can play an off color dual land. You know, you can play an off color shock land. You can just have like extra swamps in your deck that shock you. You know, I'm not, I'm not saying yeah. it wrong. I'm just saying like there there are other ways yeah, to kind of like you can push you it, over for it, enough. Well, yeah, I want to be getting paid off a little bit more. Is what agreed. I'm saying. Agreed. Yeah. Agreed. And those those cards do it, and they they hit you pretty hard. That's the other thing. I want to get this card big. I don't want to deal myself one and, you know, play a two mana one one. I want to deal myself three on the first two turns and attack you for two and suddenly have a grizzly bear that is threatening to get out of hand really quickly. That's the big thing for me too, right? Is like you're, you're it's it's like Termogoyf used to be. It's like Death Shadow used to be. Where like you, you play this early creature and like your opponent has to kill this. Like they have to respect this. So you're going to get some value out of it, even when you don't have ways to fully punish them from it. You're like, you know, you don't have the burn spell rolled up with, with a shock land or whatever. Cause like, that's going to be a play pattern you're going to need to do. You're going to do something aggressive on one, like shock yourself, or whatever, shock yourself again on two, play this. And then they're going to do something. And if they don't do it, you're going to have to be like, okay, play a burn spell, like play my land, like shock myself or whatever, burn you a little bit more. Now attack you for a lot. 
You know what I mean? Put you down to like 16, 15 or whatever. Now attack you with like a 5-5 five, five or whatever because I'm also at 16 or 15. And that like, kind of shell, I do think really, you know, that's what unlocks the potential of this card. And those draws are scary. That's that's turn three kill territory. Um, that uh, is a really cool. Um, and and that's what I want to be doing. I want I want to be putting it in a deck that has draws like that. Yeah. All, like, even with Team or Battle Rage, right? You, you can go... Like, Turn one, you know, any two power creature, right? N- next turn this, it, you know, say you've dealt yourself five. You know, you have a shock land and, and one of the, the modal double face lands. The, tr- the triple lands, yeah, right? yeah whatever. And then, and then you shock yourself on turn three. Let's say you dealt yourself seven. That's a pretty reasonable set of draws. You know, you're at 13. They're at 18 after you attacked on turn two. You play this. You get to play a one mana burn spell. Maybe, you know, burn them for two. So you got a four, four. When you battle rage this, you're dealing four and then eight. Actually, six and then and then ten, right? Or because the first yeah. the first hit would actually be was so the deal- second time yeah, it's it it making it bigger, it grow. right? So you're you're dealing four with it and two with your one drop. You're dealing six, and now suddenly your thing is a ten ten. So you're dealing sixteen. As long that's as you're, 20, that's full, twenty, as long that's, as that's just full twenty. You, you also have to be at ten. Oh yeah, so you're dealing seven the second time. So you're getting them to yeah. three. Yeah. So you're yeah, and it it's academic from there to find three damage, right? And yeah. like even in lands, I mean like. Dude, just just also play uh, ramen apple runs. You know what I mean? Like just just play lands that hurt you. Like yeah, like it's fine. Oh yeah, there's pl- plenty of pain lands to, to choose from. Ramen apple ruins, if you're dead lands. Yeah, you know you can play extra shock lands. Um, yeah, you know you you can play thoughtsies. There's a good so, there's a good card in Luris deck. Someone's mentioning that. Like there's another card that's good to claim Lur- to fame. Luris's lifelink is a little awkward, but yeah, it's, yeah, it's just, a two drop. Yeah, just don't hit him. <laughs> yeah, and, and this is definitely a deck that also wants to play a super low curve. So yeah, and, and play a bunch of burn spells. You know, I, I could definitely see this being a Luris deck. Um, yeah. But you know, th- this to me is less of a new archetype and more just like an evolution on burn. But it's a it's a step forward if you can make it work. Uh, someone in the chat is asking the new bolt lands. So there's lands in the set that come into play tapped unless you pay three life. They're like the the I think it's the mythic spell mythic lands, right? Modal double faced cards. Yeah, and so <laughs> you can just pay three to have your land come into play on tap like your swamp come like you don't even need the other end of the card you know what i mean like i just want another land that that deals me damage because if you're making your deck like all in to kill your opponent the hardest part of making this card busted is going to be trying to get yourself low enough that it's bigger than a three three yeah stag tell saying this in rampaging frostodon that's yeah that's combo yeah because your opponent can't gain life you're dealing damage to yourself i'm in for that that you can't you they can't even make you gain life so yeah. Oh, it's yeah, players that's... can't gain life. Oh, yeah, I'm in. Let's sign me up. Yeah. So the, I get, I don't think this card goes into that traditional shell of a, you know, Death Shadow deck. Though I would be interested in potentially trying to splash Stubborn Denial. Hold on, real quick. Someone made another good one. Red Eidolon. Eidolon of uh, the Red Eidolon yeah, is Eidolon of the Great Rebel is definitely with this awesome, card. awesome with Scourge. Yeah. So you see, like, that's the kind of shell that this card goes into, but it's really good in that shell. I'm gonna make the tweet with like this this card, you know, Skirt of the Skyclaves and Eidolon, and then just be like, "Let me tell you about my best friend." Best friend. <laughs> yeah, so it's like so, Rakdos Sly. Yeah. yeah, so someone's like Rakdos Sly, exactly. Like I, I think, I think the current iterations people are talking about the current iteration of the Rakdos deck. I think that deck's a little more like value oriented than oh, yeah. than I would want for Skirt of the Skyclaves, but I'm not yeah, saying it's wrong to try it in there. Completely different decks. Yeah, so I'm a big fan of this one from card. the ground up. I mean, I, I would take the, the current burn deck and just, like, cut Boris Charm, like, you know, don't play the wizard stuff, probably, and, like, play this instead and play Thoughtseize. That's probably where, where I would start. 
but you know, I would have to think about it a little bit more. But that that's definitely an exciting show. And like, uh, I don't think I'm trying to think like what number it has to be for it to be awesome. And uh, like, I think at four four and five five, it's already pretty good. And once it gets to six six, it's awesome because then it's outclassing the green three drops. Yeah, and then at that point, it's like, is it really that hard to get it to four four and five five? It's really not, right? As long as like, I will say it will be harder. If this becomes a thing, like if this becomes a real thing, and then like decks are gonna, you know, uh, find ways to make themselves gain life or something, you know, in the right way. Like you look at Blessed Alliance coming back, and, and the good news is, unlike Death Shadow, they can gain life, and that's fine. <laughs> yeah, you look so at Blessed Alliance coming back or something like that. You know, uh, one of those cards. So, but we'll see. Uh, traditionally, that has not been the best way to to battle these decks. Honestly, just kill the damn thing is probably the best way to do it. But yeah, and obviously, you know. It dies to Fatal Push, so that's that's your answer. But if you're a non-black deck, this is a hard card to deal with. All right, number five number for you. Number five on my list is Wayward Guide Beast. Another kind of um, a controversial card, I will say, or polarizing card. And one that I uh, sort of dismissed initially, but I always come back to anything that costs one. And it costs one. And with this one, I started thinking back to probably about six months ago now when I was playing, maybe five months ago, I was playing a Bushwhacker deck. Burning Tree Emissary, Bushwhacker, it was nearly mono-red, basically splashing for Tarka's Command, and that might have been it. Um, but it played, you know, a pile of one-drops. Uh, oh, it, it played um, played that stupid Seder card. That let you discard a card at random and draw two if you attack with three creatures. Gallia. Uh, that was the other card that, that you splashed green for. Because you had an actual Seder, Fire Drink of Seder, and you played Annex as your like sweeper protection that was also great with Ember Cleave and gave you Seders when your things died that you now pumped with your Seder Lord, which was sweet. But I think about that deck, and it's a deck that, you know, didn't really want to make more than two or three land drops and often had plenty of one drops. It could play something else on turn one. And if I'm playing a deck with a super low curve that isn't making my third land drop anyway in the vast majority of games, this card is really powerful. I'm, I will say I kind of regret having it this high. I think I wish I'd, in hindsight, I put it a couple slots back. But, you know, these kind of just like nearly mono red, a million one drop kind of decks, they need critical, a critical mass of good ones. And this is just another one on the pile. It's just getting closer. And this one is really powerful in that style of deck. Sometimes it's actually going to net you mana, right? Sometimes, you know, if you're missing your second land drop, you can play this and, and get another one drop down post-combat. Like the Daze tricks in, in, yeah. in Legacy. And, yeah, yeah. and sometimes, you know, you're going to play it on turn three. You know, you, maybe maybe you go like, a, you know, turn one, one drop, turn two, Emissary Bushwhacker, turn three, this, attack with my creatures, play my second land, like play something else. And now, like that kind of that kind of line is going to be really good. I don't think you're going to play the full four. I think you're going to play three of this card, but it is going to be awesome in that deck. There's going to be some draws where where it looks awkward. Yeah, I think I'm going to play zero of this card. I'm not sure I see it. I can see spots where yeah, this is fine. I think it's cool. This is not with a the card. card. Yeah, it's this not is, a tannic card, is, but this is a, the card that goes in a deck that is all in that is saying I'm not making my third land drop. Like when I'm pl- putting this card in my deck, I'm cutting the annexes. I will right. say this, for this card to be good, I really need the lands to be doing something. Like, it needs to be with, you know, Death Shadow, Scourge of the Skycleaves with Shocklands. I need some reason to be putting my lands into play. I, there needs to be Landfall. 
you know, I'm just saying if you're not planning on making your third land drop anyway, there's no downside. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I get it. That's how you mitigate the downside. You just don't, you just put in a deck that doesn't want to make a third land drop anyway. Sure. Now you've got a one mana two two haste. No, I'm not saying so, it's awful, right? It's like I think the more I read this card, the more I'm like, yes, it's playable, right? But again, this is what we're talking about with like some of the cards that we previewed earlier. You look at this and it just screams Goblin Guide, right? Because this is the, this is literally the set of we're reprinting older like busted creatures, slightly different and were like you know maybe more fixed. You know what I mean? And so like yeah. maybe this was like their attempt to be like, well, we wanted to put Goblin Guide, uh, Snapcaster Mage, uh, we wanted to put. Uh, Death Shadow, something like that, into Pioneer, but we didn't want those exact cards, right? We didn't want it to become modern. We didn't want Historic to become modern. And so here we go. Here's, like, fixed versions of the card. Yeah. I also think the idea is, like, this is supposed to, you know, go in your Landfall aggro deck, and you connect with it, and you, it lets you just keep making land drops, and you otherwise wouldn't. Um, but, you know, it's, it looks a little awkward at doing that. The other thing that I think is subtly important about it is that when you're playing decks that are playing this card, like, your opponent is incentivized to not take any damage. So oftentimes when they have the removal spell, they're killing it. And then you, you're you not, um, you know, you're not returning the land. Obviously, like, you know, they've probably traded the, you know, their one for one, which isn't the best. But when they're taking the damage like that, they're going to die really quickly. So if you're set up to actually, you know, still develop appropriately despite the downside, then you're often going to not meet the downside anyway, whereas sometimes Goblin God like, gave your opponent a card and then traded for their Lightning Bolt, and that was heinous. So you actually have, I think, less of the you know incredible downside of, you know, you have a, a higher um, floor, uh, but you have a much lower ceiling. Because obviously you can't, you can't play this card on turn one, but it, it's a one drop that is very good to be casting on turn you know two and three in a deck that's not making its third or fourth land drop ever. That's where it goes. Those decks exist in Pioneer, or they can exist if you have enough good one-drops, and this is another one, and there's already a lot. Oh, absolutely. All right. This is going to be a big differentiating factor in yeah, the way where Guide Beast hits. Oh, I 100% agree with you. It's like, I think this is going to be one of the ones for you where you're either going to really hit or really miss here. Yep. And we'll All see right. in three months. Yeah. All right. Number, number four, four for Tannen. We're on the back half. I guess we're not quite halfway there because we do have overrated and underrated. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is your uh, your place for Seagate Stormcaller. So this was number six on my list. It makes four on Tannins. Yeah, so I I like this card. The more and more I read it, the more I like it. Um, originally, I was like, yeah, this card is like not good because I, I did the same thing everybody else does where I'm like, this this card is not Snapcaster Mage, right? And we just need to play it a little differently. I think, you know, playing this on three backed up by Thoughtseize is going to be very good. Playing this on three backed up by Fatal Push is going to be very good. A Burn Spell. Literally just any one mana card, even Opt in some matchups, you're just like, two one, Opt twice, go. Like, that's good enough, right? And the, the card you should be comparing this to, isn't it? It's Jace Friends Prodigy. Doesn't it compare pretty well to that? Yeah, it does. I, got, I, I honestly well think it. it does. It gets you It gets you to the most important part of the card a lot more reliably and a lot faster. Mm-hmm. The, 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 the problem that I can see with this card is Snapcaster is card advantage onto itself, right? As long as you have spells in your graveyard, Snapcaster is a thing, right? And it has flash. Like, obviously, this would be broken instead of flash because you could hit counter spells and stuff like that. But the fact that you have to have a spell in your hand for this card to be good is going to be the mediating factor for if this is, like, That's a really good, good or, point. or very good. And you yeah, have to have something in your really hand. feel bad top deck. And so this is something that makes me want to play... Um, 
a certain kind of blue deck, right? Where almost all of my lands are islands. I want to play like Mystic Sanctuary in my deck to make sure that I always have access to another spell, right? Like just, I, I don't care if I, you know, I'm locking out my draw, but I know that I'm putting a card on top of my deck that goes along with Seagate Stormcaller, you know, that kind of thing. Like, you know, just going that deep and making sure that I always get value off my card and that it's always good. The body is relevant enough, right, at 2-1. Like, it can attack a Planeswalker, it can be a clock, it can trade for uh, a Wayward Guide Beast, you know, from your opponent if you need it, to. It can trade for the cheap creatures in the burn deck. It trades for cheap creatures in the mono black deck. It trades for, you know... If this was like a 1-2 or a 1-3, I'd be much less interested in this uh, than it being a 2-1. I like it having 2 power. I think it's a big deal. I think yeah. this card's flexible. It's also the kind of magic card that I like. Like, I'm going to be playing this card, right? Like, I, I like this kind of card. And it's going to be, I will say this, I'm really glad that um, the Inverter deck doesn't exist anymore because this would have been a very good card to have in Inverter for the matchups where, like, it wanted to go more grindy mid-range. This is just, like, the perfect kind of card for them. And I'm really glad that we don't have to deal with that. Especially things like Dig Through Time where you're just, like, setting up, finding finding whatever you want to copy. Like, okay, I really need that Eliminate. Okay, kill both of those. Yeah, kill your best, kill your, kill, like, Eliminate your Uro, Eliminate your Planeswalker or something, you know what I mean? And yeah. so... There's a lot of things that go along with this, and there's there's all kinds of cool stuff you could do with it too, like someone's talking about village rights, you know, and stuff like that. Or any cantrip goes along pretty well with this because anyone who's played a lot of Snapcaster decks, like how many times have just on like turn three you've Snapcaster to Serum Visions, and you're like that was good enough, right? Like I'm just ma- I'm setting up big turns for the next turn because like here's the thing, Snapcaster ended games, right? Like you would play Snapcaster, hit like Revelation, right? Revelation for like five, and then start attacking them for two. This is not Snapcaster's effect that, like, it's not going to win the game by itself, right? There's going to be some situations where it does something busted, but this is a card that gets you there, right? It bridges that gap. Like, you play it on turn three or four, and you thought seize them twice, and you rip their hand apart, you get the cards that matter, right? Or yeah. then you start you, pulling really far ahead. Yeah, yeah, it gets you to where you're trying to go, yeah. right? Like, it, it bridges the gap to your four-drop Planeswalker, right? Or your five-drop to Fairy kind of thing, and you're just going to get busted, you know, do busted things from there. And, like... I really believe that you need to play this in a deck that has a lot of proactive spells, but also has ways to garner card advantage and churn through your deck. Because having this in your hand and no spell to copy is going to be a real big feel bad. If you're like having to play this as a 2-1 seems awful. The thing is, if you play it in those kinds of decks too, you're more likely to get in a situation late in the game where you get to kick this. And then if you get to kick this on opt, literally like anything, right? Just getting to... Force all that mana into it is great because this is the kind of card that gets you there, right? And like I think back to probably my favorite deck of all time, the blue white flash deck in standard or the blue white red flash deck in standard. All of your cards were kind of meh overall, right? Like you had a couple really powerful cards and like Sphinx Revelation and Snapcaster Mage, but you filled it in with a bunch of like three mana counter spells and like think twice Searing is... Spear <laughs> yeah. and Pillar of Flame. You know, these cards that like, they served a purpose, right? But they were not inherently as powerful as like the Jun deck of the time. That was just like mythic, 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 you know, kind of thing. But the thing is, is like the deck got you to turn seven or eight or nine, right? And you you made all these cards, you made all these land drops, and then your Snapcaster would hit a Revelation for like four or something, right? Or you would just top deck a Revelation and do that, right? And you're going to have some of these spells here because here's the thing. There's kicker in this set. There's kicker in the past and cards like that. There are some two mana cards that you could also have kicker on that just become better, right? Like I'm thinking about this with like any version of Into the Royal. Like Into the Royal got reprinted into this one. It, it's had different names and much sets where like you could also just bounce your own creature for profit. You're like block, uh, bounce my thing, or you could be like play this Into the Royal two permanents. You know, kind of things like that. 
into the royalty permits draw two cards yeah like could you just pay the kicker right and so yeah. like th- this thing's flexible like this with an x spell is really cool you know like well, you know anything that can see two or less so probably not that's oh not, not x spell I, mean, I meant stuff with kickers like anything that yeah, like yeah, yeah, kicker, yeah you kicker can, is key way yeah. b- way better than x with this i don't know why i said x spell but you get what i'm saying yeah. like i kind of just ruined like a whole good rant there but yeah there, there's some flexible stuff that you can do with this card and i do think it's good and we have seen in the past that oh someone said traverse that's a sweet one too we have seen in the past that cards like this like cre- like creatures attached with some kind of card advantage spell attached with in blue have always been good at some point in time and i think the floor on this is lower than snapcaster but still high enough that this card is just playable and i think the ceiling is absurd in some of the matchups so I'm going to die on this hill, and I think this card is very good. I originally had it as, like, my number two and one for a while, but then, like, I just couldn't I couldn't overreach my number one. <laughs> sure. Yeah, well, I think we're we're both in agreement. This, this has been a, a rising card for me. I kind of ignored it when I first read it, and this, you know, because of all the super, superfluous text on it, but... I'm going to um, come back to this card in a second, so let's go ahead and go to your next one, yeah. and then I'll kind of, like, circle back because I, it kind of works with something that comes up later. So I, I will say that I have one more point on this, and it's something sure, that ahead. I no, heard Todd Anderson mention. He was doing a set review with uh, Ryan Arbiter earlier today, which they're actually going to finish tomorrow, so I encourage everybody watching now to tune into that. I think they uh, stopped in the middle of green or maybe in the middle of red t- towards the back half of it, but uh, they're going to be a more generalized review, so if you're interested in other formats... But he mentioned Seagate Stormcrawler, um, you know, you you kept saying that it's a card that gets you there. It keeps getting you there to the to the late game because it lets you set up these pretty early turns where you interact really well. You, know, you affect the battlefield with a 2-1, you get two Thoughtseizes, you get two removal spells. Maybe you generate card advantage against an interactive deck, which is also great with like an opt. And so that's going to force the game long. And when you force the game long, you make it more and more likely that you kick this card. So, like, Todd envisioned these games going where, like, the first one copies a Thoughtseize. Then the, you find the second one if, uh, a little while later, and you copy a removal spell, and you kill two things. And now the game's really long because you've generated all this card advantage, you've probably done some other stuff, and eventually you find the third one, and now you get to copy, you know, opt and draw three cards and scry three dimes, and you're just so far ahead at that point, it, it doesn't matter. And that's kind of like the Snapcaster rev for four, right? It's not quite as good, but still pretty good. It's almost talking about this, like, Think about this in a in a in a like a blue black spells spells ish like mid range deck with uh, what is it see from beyond the new ancestral if you have enough cards in your yard and like this this is a card I can see myself like late game just you know trying to be like four mana two one draw th- draw six cards you know like yeah. like there's some really busted things you can do here with this card that, someone was talking about this in the older formats this is a dark ritual that's also really cool <laughs> yeah there's there's some really really fun stuff that you can do with this card and there's a reason it's a mythic right and again i'm going to come back to this uh let's go ahead and move to your number four and I, I believe it's my number three that comes along with this as well go ahead my number four is Archpriest of iona uh so the third one drop to appear on my uh on my list here Archpriest is a card that i think is just good on rate you know, Isamaru was sort of the gold standard for white one drops for many years. Uh, we do not see it in uh, in modern these days, but I think we, we would see that card in Pioneer were we allowed. This card, I think, is very easy to make just a one mana 2-2, two, two, but it's not legendary. That's great. Um, and it's a human, and a human cleric, which are two relevant types, but human being much more so. So it works with Thalia's Lieutenant. It works with, you know, General Kudro. 
We've seen human decks poke their way through a little bit and pioneer the, uh, a lot. I think this is a really strong one drop for them. Uh, in particular, just having two toughness. There's a lot of ways for people to punish one toughness creatures that are usually around. So I don't like my aggro decks to be overloaded on them. This has two toughness. I also think it, in a human shell, it might be easy to just, you know, occasionally backdoor your way into party. We mentioned earlier that a Reflector Mage is a wizard. That, I think, is the hardest one to get. Maybe Rogue is a little bit harder. But um, in particular, in company builds, like sometimes you can go from two members of the party to four immediately. And you're going to be you know, seeing more cards. You're going to have a little bit more versatility. I also think in decks that are playing things like uh, Return of the Death Dweller or Agadim's Awakening, um, you know, that's a way for you to go from not so much party to full-on party really quickly. And if this card is triggering, it's amazing. And you don't need a huge, you know, probability of hitting it, I think, for this card to be good because the, you know, it's so easy to just make it a good card. Um, and that little bit of upside really elevates a good card to a great card. I'm seeing in our chat someone mentioned Glintsy Siphoner. Is that a rogue? I think so. And it's a human. So, like, that's an easy rogue to put in your deck. I think it's already already in those decks. Um, so I th- this card just already slots into those decks. So already it's going to see play. And the question to me is whether or not you can alter the deck just slightly for party's sake and really elevate it. Because th- this card triggering, it's a one-mana 4-2 that, like, you know, pumps an attacker. And, you know, just pumping it, now it's a five-power flyer for one mana is, you know, unbelievable. So... Um, I'm a believer of this card because I actually like that deck quite a bit, you know, and even if that's not the card that, even if this isn't the card that puts it over the top, it'll still see play in it. And I think eventually you'll see that deck really become a thing because, you know, it's only getting more and more cards. Eventually it'll get a tool that pushes it over the top. So that, you know, this card might not hit in the next three months, though it'll still see play. Eventually it's going to be a card in a top tier deck. 100% 100% agree. Um, this is like the first card that I left off the list and the one that I regret the most of not having on my list. I'm, spoiler, this card's not on my list. Um, and I'm, you know, kind of regretting not putting it on because if you win this uh, against me, you know, being like my top eight list is better, this will be one of the cards that does it. When you write an article about this in a week or two or whatever, because you will, this is your kind of <laughs> card, please name it. You've got to fight for your right to party. But. Um, I think this card is good. I think, the, like you said, the floor is Isamaro pretty much. Uh, it's got evasion kind of built onto it, which is a big deal. The fact that it can get through. Um, I do think that you might have to work a little too hard sometimes to make it good, but I don't think it's that hard. You, you need one other other party yeah. creature that's yeah. not a cleric to make it a two two. Yeah, that seems I, easy. I think it's. I think this is good. I think it's gonna be very good in standard. I think there's going to be a white aggressive deck standard. That's the thing for me is that, like the white aggressive decks in Pioneer have not traditionally done well over the span of pioneer and that's where like you i kind of like what you said like maybe not today maybe not tomorrow but you know a few months down the line a year down the line this card's gonna all of a sudden like you remember champion of the parish used to be like a 10 cent card and then it went to like a five or ten dollar card overnight when heroes was when when uh heroes when humans became a thing and if that card was in pioneer it would see a lot yes of play. it would see a lot a lot of play and again this and is the fixed this is the fixed, more pioneer <laughs> yeah this is the fixed version of that card you know, yeah, Brian would play a lot more. This is the fixed version of that card. And well, so, like, this is the set of just, yeah. And so, this is cards the, that the deck already plays. There's an Orzhov Human Sec. So, right uh, yeah, I definitely like this card a lot. I think it's good. I think this is one of the rares you definitely should go after, especially if you like white aggressive decks in this format. Yeah. So, definitely. I, I will say, I, I played a deck trying to take advantage of different party cards already on versus for standard, and I called it Wayne's World. Oh, it's party time. Excellent. Party time. Yeah. Oh, man. That good old my, Wayne's that World. That was reference. my reference. 
I'm sure there was a million of those jokes. Oh yeah, you, you should you, just, you like Beastie Boys. I wouldn't wait for just Google party and like just, yeah yeah <laughs> yeah. So all right. Okay. Oh, when number... you play the deck, you should like have to put shades on and they they play like your your come out like some walkout music for you or something. Yeah, I'm I'm in for that. Okay, number three for Tannen. We're getting down to it. And yours, okay, this is my number eight. And as I uh, mar- remarked earlier, I wish I had put this a little higher. This is a magmatic channeler. Um, so I know you, you were saving your remarks. You didn't talk a lot about this card earlier. Well, so. yeah, there's not too much extra to say. I think you kind of... Yeah, I think you kind of nailed it. Sorry for talking over you. Didn't my audio went out for a second? Um, I think this works possibly well with Scourge of the Skyclaves. We'll see, right? Like, there's definitely some decks where these can kind of go together. I think they will in standard quite a bit, but we'll see if you end up like in an Is It or Blue Red Spells kind of deck in Pioneer. Then these are two cards that are going to work out pretty well together for for obvious reasons. I think this deck, you know, we've talked about this, could revamp Is It Phoenix, like you said, make the, make the deck playable again because. You've now got a, a, a two drop that threatens to start killing them very quickly, and is a, and if not, the ability on it is very relevant, and like you're filtering through your deck, so it's doing everything that it wants to do. Like we're seeing this in Magic more and more lately, where like cards have uh, some payoff, right? Where they're like, if you do this, then this card is better, right? And that used to never be on the same card, and now in Magic they're they're doing it all together. You know what I mean? Like they're just putting it all on the card. Like oh, you need you need stuff in the graveyard for this card to be better. Oh, well, you can just tap it to discard a card, right? Yeah, so it, it pumps itself, like it, it it feels itself. There's a there's another good example. Uh, it's the the cleric of first bond or whatever, the, the uncommon cleric that has like the Ajani Pride Mate ability, although a slightly fixed version of it. But also, it has the Soul Warden attached to it, but just for clerics. So it's like slightly worse on both ends, but you get both halves of the co- of the you know combo on one creature. And I actually like that card quite a bit for standard for that reason. Uh, John Travolta is asking if this could revamp it for modern too. Not sure. We'll have to see, but uh, maybe it doesn't have so much enough space there. But no, modern, you need to be so explosive. P- part of you got to understand that in modern, is it Phoenix was a deck that could win on turn four and could easily win on turn twelve, and that's what made it special, uh, right? And, and in addition to being super consistent, uh, like unless you get that back, it's not going to be good. But for me, like I, I see, is it Phoenix, and I see this as a possible card in there. I see the Rakdos or the 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 Mardu type spells decks, and this card just screams "play me" in those decks. You know, it's it's a yeah. it's a built in card advantage engine, kind of like you know when you're discarding a card, I get it. Like you're not getting ahead of card advantage, but you kind of are. You know, when you're like, as long you as know, you're taking advantage of the cards you're discarding, then yeah, yeah, you're getting ahead on card advantage, and then you're getting virtual card advantage from some of it too as well yeah. and but like the thing is, is you know it helps churn through your deck you're gonna you're gonna be playing a lot a lot of spells there. like this card just screams thought seize to me like i know we keep talking about thought seize but it's so good with a lot of the cards that are in this you know thing and you know we saw thought seize kind of wane a little bit in the last couple of months of not being the best card in this in the, in the format anymore and like i think we might be getting back to the point where hey thought seize is still a messed up magic card you know yeah and uh, uh, I, I like this card quite a bit in the in the Rakdos Pyromancer deck. I'm not exactly sure how to fit it in along with Dreadheart Arcanist and Young Pyromancer. It's good and all claim that to fame as well. Another, um, you know, real good claim to fame target. Yeah, uh, yeah like it's, it can set you up. You know, you can discard the creature and, that, and then just claim it when you are, yeah, claim it and you can do things like, and you can even hit the claim off the channeler. Discard Kroxa, like there's all kinds of yeah, stupid you stuff. Yeah, discard Kroxa, that's cool. You can discard stuff on their turn after like blocking with it and then just choose the instant. Right. And cast that, uh, you know, presu- presuming that you hit one. So there's a lot of cool things you can do with this card. 
yeah, super excited about it. And St- Seagate Stormcaller kind of revamping a lot of, you know, either dormant or starting new archetypes. So, yeah. Number three on my list is going to be Agadim's Awakening. This is another card that I kind of dismissed when I first saw it, but I've gotten a lot uh, higher on it over the last, you know, week or two. Since I think week, really. This this came pretty late. It was the last of the cycle. This is the black a card that uh, the black mythic modal double faced card um, in the set. The, so you know the reverse side is a you know land that taps for black enters tap unless you pay through life. Agadim's Awakening side is an X black 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 sorcery and says return from your graveyard to the battlefield any number of target creature cards that have a different converted mana cost X or less. So you can cast it for X equals one and get a one drop back. You can cast it for X equals two, get a one and a two back. You can cast it for X equals three, get a one, a two, and a three back, and so on and so on, right? I like this card because it, unlike some of the other ones, it actually is doing something pretty relevant at five and six mana. I think the red one can be good at five and six mana against uh, specifically, you know, small creature decks, but is much better at higher casting costs. The other ones all cost seven mana. Um, and we already see, you know, that Stitcher Supplier, Rakdos deck, you know, that's a great home for this card already. The Rakdos Pyromancer deck. There's plenty of ones to ones and twos you want to get back with it. Um, so you're not going to really cast it for three. You're just going to cast it for two, but it's going to be five mana. Get two cards. Uh, not super efficient, but when it's coming on a land, that's excellent. Um, you know, I think there are other decks that you can try to build with it that are going up to three and potentially four and really bringing a lot of cards back. This is not the kind of card that you put in like a super dedicated deck like Rally. This is like this is a different card than Rally of the Ancestors, even though they read similarly, um, and even a little bit different than Return the Ranks. Though more similar to that one. Um, this is you know a card that's just providing extra bonus value in a deck that is all about generating value, and you know that stapled onto the opportunity cost is really good. I think that cycle is awesome. I expect all of them to see play in standard. But for Pioneer, you really need to be playing the one that is most effective at four and five mana at that cheaper casting cost. And that's this one. So high on it in this format. I now already see an easy home for it. Yeah, the more you're talking about, the more I regret not putting this on my list. Spoiler, it's not on my list. Uh, this does look really powerful. The The problem that I had with it was thinking about it. Was, I was thinking about it as like Rally of the Ancestors, that kind of thing. And that card, it is not right. Like that's not the effect you want, like you were saying. But when I think about like the Jun Sacrifice Bolas Citadel type decks in this format this just fits right in right like this is a card that's just great in there and the fact that it helps you cast your spells early and then it's just a oops i win card late also in the game a great as well. way to sync that priest mana yeah awesome, great way to sync, awesome yeah. card with a priest yeah because you're like sack sack this up to my priest because i'm missing you know this casting cost and this casting cost like do all the stuff oh oops got it all back this is going to be yeah i, I really regret not putting some of this because this is going to be generally six or seven mana win the game a lot of times in these decks yeah. so yeah. Okay. Uh, number two on your list, Tannen, is Da-da-da-doom. Skyclave Shade. So I'm a big fan of this card, and I have it high because like, I think this is going to be a card that quite possibly is just a four of in a deck for a while and just stays there, and that is uh, like a tier one, tier two deck. And like while I don't think this causes as much waves as some of the other cards in this do, I just look at this card and it screams like, you know, mono black aggro to me. Or uh, the uh, Soltai-ish, Dredgeless Dredge decks, you know, those kind of things. And it's just got insane value attached to it, right? 
Like, I love this card. Cards like this in the last couple of years that have been printed have always been staples. You know, it's like Scrap Heap Scrounger, number five, six, seven, and eight in a deck that, you know, hey, like, we always kind of wanted another really good two-drop in that deck that was, like, aggressive, you know? Like, it's got a, it, three powers a lot for a two-drop that can come back. Um, not to mention, late in the game, you know, if you if you top-deck this on turn five, it's just, it's just what, like a 5-3? You're like, whatever, just make a 5-3, like, go, you know? If they kill it, I will might cast it. It, it, it help, it's a card that also helps like flooding, right? And the fact that Scrap Heap Scrounger, you can run out of things in your graveyard to kind of feed it to make it keep coming back. This, like, you just have more lands in your deck. And like, yeah, maybe this is another card that goes along with, you know, the red one drop where, you know, you don't really want to make your third land drop, but like, you know, you're keep picking up your lands and you attack with your 2-2 two -two, and then I can keep casting this 3-1 for my graveyard. You know, like, or just, you know, any value. Because if you bring this back, like, let's say you play this on turn two. It gets in some damage, and it dies to, like, some kind of Wrath Effect, or they trade with it, or whatever. If you get this back over the span of the game, it needs to attack again. That is an insane amount of value in a game of Magic. And we've seen cards like Scrap Heap Scrounger define formats out of the aggressive decks. And yeah, I said it defined formats, because that deck was so good, and the fact that you could bring back Scrap Heap Scrounger into their turn, and, like, kind of get away from their sorcery stuff. This one doesn't do that in that essence, but it still has that same kind of effect that, like, it's a good, aggressive creature that just keeps coming back. Okay, let's let's set the record straight here. Scrap Heap Scrounger did not define a format. The deck that it, it was in definitely It had that one Pro did. Tour where there was, you know, 32 copies in the oh, top Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, it didn't define a format. Just every but deck it, played four. Yeah, but it wasn't... Def it didn't define the format. It was in every deck because the opportunity cost of the card was so low. Okay, whatever. A defining it's, card it's, of the format is a card that you're building the deck around. Sure. Scrap Heap Scrounger just made its way into decks because you could put eight black lands in your deck and it filled semantics. that slot in the curve. And semantics. there was no good two drops in the entire deck. Semantics. It is semantics, but it's important semantics. Because I, Scrap Heap okay. Scrounger itself sure. was a good card, but it was not an absurdly powerful card. And you see it. It doesn't see a ton of play in Modern because the artifact synergies, which were a big part of its uh, success in Standard, aren't powerful enough, you know, to be to build around in standard, like people were playing it in you know Golgari aggro decks because it was a fine two drop on your curve and also gave you an extra artifact. So when you splashed unclaimed uh, or unlicensed disintegration, you dealt three damage. You know they had it in their vehicles decks because of a myriad of different artifact synergies, and they put it in their mono red decks because they could easily splash black for it and it filled that slot in their curve. There were no other good two drops. This card one is not going to be able to do that because it's not an artifact. So already, its only home, potential home is a mono-black aggro deck. And honestly, when I look at this card and Scrappy Scrounger in my mono-black aggro deck, I'm not sold I want to play this one instead. Okay. Because, you know, you you mentioned, you know, Scrappy Scrounger, you can get caught without a creature to return. Here, you can just get caught without a land to trigger landfall. That's, you know, relatively even to me. This one, you have that kicker. That's nice. Scrappy Scrounger, you got an extra point of toughness. And you have the ability to return it at instant speed, which yeah. is very nice against sweeper. That's the effects. big thing for me. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So there's give and take. They they seem pretty comparable to me. Like there's not a huge difference to either either way. I could see Skyclave Shade making its way into Mono Black Aggro instead of Scrap Heap Scrounger. I could see it not. But that's the pinnacle of what Skyclave Shade does to me. Maybe you want it in some sort of sacrifice deck, but it's pretty mana intensive to start doing synergies with this card. Like it's it's not Bloodgast. Part of the reason that Bloodgast is really good in decks like that is it comes for no mana. So it leads to these really explosive draws. Um, so uh, I actually, I contemplated having this as my most overrated card in the set because I've heard a lot of good things about it from people. I do think it is a good card, but I do not think it is a great card. 
Okay. So I wouldn't be surprised if it does see some play, but for being number two, like yeah, it's it's, it's, it's a far weird thing. away from two for me. It's why I felt like I had to kind of preface the rating. It's like. Yeah, I don't think it's as powerful as Splash these other cards, but I think it's like one of the more likely cards to see play. Okay, yeah, a I, I do think amount. it's a, I think it's a safe bet. Yeah, I think it's like one of my safe bets. That's why it's high on my list. Like I could easily see just putting this at like eight and being like you know onto inversion at like number two because I'm like it's super splashy and cool if it gets played, but like only one deck's gonna play it probably well, and like only they, one deck's gonna play this. We just know exactly what that deck is and we yeah, know that, it's good. That, yeah, and like <laughs> that, that's why it is for me, right? Like this is a card that might immediately slot into Pioneer as a three or four of. Like it's possible it's a you know two to four of immediately into Pioneer and like that is a very impactful card out of a new set. Oh, you know, like that, just, that's an, an, another good point from Doom Surf here is that uh Scrap Heap Scrounger was also really important because it played so well with Heart of Curd, which was yes, actually yes. one of the format defining cards in that format. There you go. Yeah. Good points. We don't have to keep talking about how wrong I was. You know, we, we could just move on to your number two. Oh, he actually agrees with you, though. Even know, though the I, point I he's making, it, yeah. I think, actually bolsters my argument. But yeah, yeah. Maybe we're that's both, we're both right, all right? So let's just go to number two. <laughs> well, that can't possibly happen, Dan. That is against the laws of the universe. Sure. Okay. We are going to head to my number two. And this one is Skyclave Apparition, a card that we mentioned earlier. Where did it fall on your list? Six. And I, I mentioned then that I love this card. I think it's, very I think it's going to slot Im- immediately into mm-hmm. Spirits decks of all kinds. And honestly, I think the card is good enough that you might see Spirits decks move back towards playing Collected Company. Yeah, exactly. Right. I think the card is just really, really good. Um, the one thing that holds it back is the lack of flying. So it's possible that you just can't main deck it in Spirits. And if it's a cyber card, that's not enough to play a company in my deck. But I would explore having... You know, this in my main deck and collect a company and being a little bit more interactive. I think it matches up really, really well against uh, Mono Green Planeswalkers. It can answer um, Wilderness Reclamation. Like that That four line covers a lot of things in Pioneer. Basically only misses Anissa. So for Pioneer specifically, I think the card works out really well. There's an easy home for it. I could also see it seeing play in like white aggressive decks. I could see it seeing play in a lot of other places. I'm not sure if those homes are uh, developed for it yet, but you know, over the years, this is a card that you're going to revisit because I think it's the best at what it does. Mm-hmm. When you when you look at Banisher Priest, Fiend Hunter, uh, you know, De- Deputy Detention. I'm not sure if all of those are in the format, but you know that style of card. I think this is the best one they've printed yet. Yeah, hundred percent agree with you. Yeah. I mean, if you, if you're the best at what you do, you're you're going to see play. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right, so we have a couple things before we get into the the number one cards, right? Like typical, typical like TV show, whatever you know, like right before they reveal, they go to the commercial. Well, we're not yeah. going to exactly a commercial. We're gonna we're gonna talk about some of our most overrated and underrated cards yes. of, of, of what we had. I've overrated is going to be coming first, so we'll do Tannen's most overrated card in the set here for Pioneer, and that is oh, I just did mine. Well, oh, that's fine. We'll do mine first. I hold on. What is yours? Oh, yeah, ours are the same here. They're this the is the same, one place where Ross, we agree. Yeah. Perfect. We can yeah. just do both at the same time. Most overrated card in the set for Pioneer specifically, and that's important here, I think, is Blood Chief's Thirst. Because I do think this card will see significant play in Standard. I think it will see significant play in Historic. Um, but the fact that it sits on top of Fatal Push and Pioneer is really bad for it. Because you do not want to be playing removal spells that sit on top of each other. You want to play removal spells that cover each other's weaknesses. And yes, Blood Chief's Thirst can be kicked to you know deal with big, bigger things. It can hit Planeswalkers, which is nice, but it's really inefficient at doing that. And I cannot overstate how big of a deal it is for removal spells to be sorcery speed versus instant speed. It matters so much, especially like, you know, 
on turn one, when you're on the play without a one drop, you get to push their one drop. You know, that happens a lot. Not being able to do that is a big deal or having to like not play your two drop on turn two if you want to kill their thing. So it being a sorcery is really huge. If it was somehow split with Fatal Push, it being one mana might be enough for it to be the supplementary black removal spell. But I just can't imagine wanting to play this instead of, you know, you, you almost always have like Murderous Rider anyway. And, you know, some combination Elimi- of eliminate. eliminate. Yeah. <laughs> like in small numbers too. And I just can't imagine wanting to play this over those just because it's one mana because those hit things that Fatal Push doesn't, at least doesn't do reliably or efficiently. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, you nailed it for me. I don't need to say anything else. You, you said everything I was going to say, and you, you hit on the biggest point for me. It's a sorcery. Yeah. But, I mean, if this card had been printed, you know, two years ago or whatever in the set Fatal Push was in, instead of Fatal Push, it would have been similarly format-defining. Not as format-defining as Fatal Push, but it would have been really, really good. Because, it, you know, it is still a powerful one-mana removal spell, uh, but sitting on Fatal Push is really rough. So it's just not, it's not there for me. Specifically in Pioneer. In formats without Fatal Push, it's it's going to see play. Absolutely. All right, and so now we're going with Underrated, I think? Underrated. Now we'll actually do Tannen. I'll hit the right hotkey, I promise. Tannen's most underrated card in the set for Pioneer, Shadow's Verdict. This is three black-black sorcery. Exile all creatures and planeswalkers with converted mana cost three or less from the battlefield, and all creature and planeswalker cards with converted mana cost three or less from all graveyards. So I think it's a card that nobody's really talking about is quite possibly going to be a decent sideboard card in some spots, right? Like, I can already see this being very good against the mono-black decks, right? Like, not only is it a Wrath effect, you know, five mana, generally a little extra for a Wrath effect, you're looking at four being just better, but five isn't the worst, and the fact that it's going to take all the stuff out of their yard that is a problem is is quite of a deal. You know what I mean? It starts to take the Scrap Heap Scroungers, the uh, Skyclave Shades, things like that out of their graveyard. This is good versus Uro. You know, a couple of the other, you know, things like that. Plus... It kills Planeswalkers that are three or less, and we've seen in this format, those are quite a bit. Teferi Narset, big ones, for sure. Yeah, Teferi Narset, big deal. So I think this is a card that, while I don't think you're going to see this, like, you know, blow up in popularity, I think it's one of those cards that, like, it's going to sneak in like Extinction Event did. You know, remember, like, when that set got previewed, pretty much no one talked about Extinction Event. You know, no one was like, oh, this is a card that's going to get played in sideboards or in, in main decks, and then it just, it fit well. Right. And this is one of the cards to me that when I read it, I was like, huh, like this is a card I could see myself wanting in certain spots. Like, because here's the thing I think the best color in this set, especially for Pioneer and Standard, was black by far. I think black got a lot of really, really good cards. Already one of the best colors in the format to begin with. (laughs) Yeah. And it was one of the best colors in the format to begin with. So if the black decks are getting better, especially like mono black aggro, like, this card seems great, right? What if Rally starts to make a comeback? What if the token decks, like you were talking about, tokens or counters decks start to make a comeback? Like, yeah. this card just seems uh, great. Pyromancer is doing well recently, and this card is great versus them. Exiles the Croxes from their graveyard. I was just about to say that. Battlefield. Yeah. A lot of the decks yeah. that we talked about today with Seagate Stormcaller, Magmatic Chandler, like uh, Skirt of the Skycleaves, all of these cards that we've been talking about in these decks, all would not want Shadow's Verdict cast against them. It's just good against all those, right? Like, so this seems like one of those cards that it's going to be innocuous at first, but I can see myself playing this card if my deck can cast it. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of with you on this too. That I agree that, that description that you have of it that it just fits right. I think mm-hmm. it is really apt. And if you're talking, if you're thinking like you know, 
Yeah, this is an easy card to overlook because it doesn't jump off the page. Right. It feels like, you know, Consume the Meek, which was a mediocre sweeper, saw a little play, mainly because it was an instant. Uh, you could, like, teachings for it, right? And this one, you know, feels something like that. But that all ex- that extra value, hitting Planeswalkers, hitting the Graveyard, exiling things so they don't get those, you know, hangerback walker triggers or, you know, a bunch of other things, um, it is all really valuable. And then the, the other question that you ask yourself is, you know, where where can you cast it? This is a card you can find with Bring the Light. Mm-hmm. You can find it Bring the Light, uh, Esper Control. Because here's the thing. Whenever I play control decks, you know what deck I don't love playing against is Mono Black Aggro. Because, like, they just have a million Savannah Lions that never fucking die. Oh, I, I, my control deck with Mono Black is a joke. I've played that deck a bunch of, like, controls. That's probably the, the matchup you want to play the most. Yeah, exactly. And can you imagine where, like, a game plays out where, like, you know, you're getting in some damage, they're doing whatever, and then on turn five, they just cast this card? Like, you just got four or five for one. Because, like, not only is he getting the stuff that's in play, but also, like, now your Scrap Heaps Grounders are gone, right? Now your Dread Wanderers or whatever the, the yeah, one drives. Yeah, you, re- you rely on that in the control matchup. Those yeah. things, you, you limp over the finish line with two ones mm-hmm. and yeah, bolts. Yeah, and it's, it's a good matchup for you, right? Like, because oh, because of the inevitability of, like, your little shitters are just going to, you know, your little mono-black shitters are just going to, you know, get in there and get in their last couple scrappy points yeah. of damage, right? And this card no, just the, keeps that from happening. The, the one thing that they rely on doing is being able to, like, untap with a Teferi because their creatures are so small, but then you just have four Murderous Riders, so you just swift end their Teferis and, you know, four, and four Thoughtsies and post-board probably some yeah. more discipline spells. You just prioritize taking care of Mutavolt out of the out of their decks. Like, just make sure Mutavolt dies or you, you mitigate the, the yeah. amount of damage it's going to do, and then you cast this card, and it should be easy to kind of mop it up from and, there. And, and with this card mopping up their graveyard, like, you can take a little bit of extra damage... Don't use that removal spell that you're going to use on turn three or four. Make sure to cast this on turn five, and you've got it left over. But and you you know you stabilize at six. That's fine. And we've seen like five mana sweepers make their way into the format. You know because you can bring the light for them. Um, what's the red hour one? Of devastation. Yeah, hour of exactly. We've seen hour of devastation come in because it does something very specific, right? Like it just fits. Like I was saying, yeah. and so I can see this kind of like playing as if another hour of devastation type card. Yeah, I, I think you probably have to main deck hour because of mono green. Yeah. But I could definitely see this being a really good sideboard one of, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. You just side this in for hour against mono mono black. Yeah. It's ma- and and Rakdos Pyromancer. Yeah, it's, it's great. It's, yeah. I, I would if I were a Niv Mizzet player right now in in Pioneer, I would be do I would be planning to do that immediately. And that's the that's the deck that for, like it first popped to mind, and then I was like, "There's a couple other decks maybe." But yeah. like this, and is the, yeah, the Esper, Esperiorian deck, yeah, seems, seems great. Yeah. Mm, that deck too. It does kill your own Teferi or whatever, but like you're generally okay with that. Whatever. If like In, instant speed it with your Teferi, you're good. Yeah. Oh, there you go. That's that's gross. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um. Okay. My most underrated card in the set, and we have Feed the Swarm, colorless and black sorcery. Destroy target creature or enchantment an opponent controls. You lose life equal to that permanence converted mana cost. I know we just got done talking about how... I, I like the, the dichotomy here. My most overrated card is because it's a sorcery speed removal spell. And then my most underrated speed. card is a sorcery speed removal spell. Um, but as I said, the, the other issue with the, with Blood Chief's Thirst, you know, the issue with it being a sorcery is because it's being compared to Fatal Push. What are you comparing Feed the Swarm to? Nothing, because you can't yeah. kill... There's one other card in black that kills an enchantment. Yeah, and it makes them sacrifice an enchantment. It costs three. Yeah. Like, you know, this also, is a card that... this plays really well with Scourge the Skycleaves. Just, just saying. Yeah, it plays really well with that. And you know what the number one deck in Pioneer on Goldfish right now is? What's that? It's Team of Reclamation. Exactly. And what, yeah. what's the, what, what is Team of Reclamation? That's an enchantment, right? <laughs> you've, got, you've, got a, you've got a card that, you know... I know they're going to get to untap, you know... 
but you get to kill their enchantment or you get to kill their stupid Uro later in the game. Like being able to do both is great. Uh, like I, I wouldn't want to bring in just a, a, a disenchant against them, uh, but having it be able to kill, you know, their few creatures uh, is awesome. What's, they the, might what's, have, like, the, what's the name of the green the mythic they always bring in against the creature decks? Uh, the, the fine Elder Gargaroth? You, Elder Gargaroth. they did in yeah. standard. Yeah, yeah, it'll, it'll kill that too. So just enough versatility to be good. You know, if your deck needs to kill enchantments, now it can't. So this is a card that, you know, it, it fits because it's the first of its kind. I know it feels weird, Black getting dedicated enchantment removal. That was like a thing that Black hasn't gotten for years. Um, but, you know, if if Black was going to be able to kill enchantments, this is a way to do it. And I actually think that's good. I, th I think what they need, rather than have colors be completely denied access to certain effects, giving them access to them in ways that feel very appropriate for the color is a lot better for balancing the game. I, I like that point. Right? Yeah. And we've seen it more recently. It's why green has become the, the best color in standard for many years, because they started giving green card advantage in ways that feel green, and ways that feel green meant ways that affect the battlefield. And we realized that card advantage that affects the battlefield is just really powerful, um, and that, that's why green has been so good. And that they're starting now to, I think you're seeing them experiment with a little bit better white removal and some more ways for white to gain card advantage. Elspeth Conqueror's Death was the really big one. And that was a very white feeling card and also very powerful because of the card advantage it provided. And I, I hope to see more cards like Elspeth Conqueror's Death, even though the number of times my opponent triggered that card versus the number of times that I triggered it is like a hundred thousand in, the, in their direction. Yeah. Uh, same. But I think that's, a, that, that's a good sign for the future. If you're a, a, a white fan, Craig Wesco, if you're listening. Uh, you know, I know Elspeth Conqueror's death isn't exactly your style, uh, but that's a good sign for white moving forward. I think they're they're starting to realize that they 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 gave green a little bit too much because I think it was easier to find ways to give it card advantage to green. And you'll start, you know, we also saw red get get it too. You know, red was really dominant in standard when it had a lot of good card advantage, uh, and it, those were all ways that felt red. And now we're seeing, you know, enchantment removal in black, but it feels black. You know, you're trading life for it. You know, it's a little bit worse than the enchantment removal that you see in white and green. It's it's a sorcery, uh, but it also kills creatures, which feels really black. So uh, I think this is the way you're going to see them manage the color pie uh, more often. It's a lot more nuanced and it helps. I think it makes it a lot easier to balance the colors rather than, you know, for, you know, for the first 10 years when blue was the only color that got to draw cards. So it was way better than everything else. Yeah, makes sense. Okay, we are getting to the end of our show. We are just about to reveal our number one uh, cards on all of our lists. Before we do that, we did want to mention our lovely sponsor, Barrister and Man. Uh, this is a, a, I would say, men's grooming company. Is that the best way to describe them? Grooming yeah. Products? Yeah, yeah, it's like it's it's sort of like grooming stuff, right? You know, um, we're looking more of like soaps, body wash, hand soaps, uh, shaving shaving supplies. Uh, I meant to have mine out, but it's actually in the living room. My dog was smelling it. Um, I got a new shipment of soaps in today. I'm super excited to uh, to try out. So especially at a, a time like this where we're all washing our hands a little bit more than normal, you know, and I make sure that I get out and try to exercise every day. And I don't know if you if you live where it's hot, Ross and I both live where it's very humid and I am covered in sweat when I need to get home. Um, I use some very specific soaps from them that are great. Uh, I've got this mint one that like it just makes me feel cleaner th than normal. Also, uh, their ingredients are a lot better and their products a lot better, a lot safer for the environment, a lot, a lot, a lot of real stuff going in there. And you don't see a lot of words on there that you can't pronounce or that have numbers attached to them. Like when you look at the back of like synthetic soaps and stuff that most men have on stuff. It just it, it came down to a big deal for me in the last few years where 
I wanted to take care of myself a little bit better because, you know, there's that whole like, you're, you know, be a man thing. You know, you shouldn't care about like, you know, soap. You just rub some dirt on it type thing. Let, let's be real. I don't, I don't want to be that. <laughs> you know, I actually want to be clean and feel good about it and smell all right. You know, like my wife really appreciates it. You know, so uh, I, I think she really appreciates the fact that I smell better. You know, I have like lavender now instead of yeah, random that's other smells. Yeah, toxic masculinity bullshit. We don't, we don't need any of that around here. Also, one of the cool things for this, uh, I was going to say, I just had a brother that had a, a birthday and, you know, the holidays are coming up. I keep mentioning this. These are great gifts for, for people because here's the thing. Okay. I like this they sent, stuff. They sent me a shaving brush. They sent you a shaving brush? You, you haven't had one of those yet? I this is, my, this is my favorite product I've gotten from them, period. Yeah. I, I do get some irritation when I trim the uh, my beard along my neckline, so I'll definitely use that there, and we'll see how that goes. But yeah, Tannen raves about this thing. Yeah, I love it. Like, absolutely love it. Uh, did you, do you have the shaving butter to go along with it? Uh, I don't have any, but maybe. So this is shaving soap. Is this what you're talking that's, about? Yeah, that's I just call it shaving butter yeah, or whatever. With so. the lanolin and shea butter yeah. and the, my favorite scent. Yeah. He's caught on that. I, I like Seville. It's my favorite scent. Yeah, so you got a different one than I did, but I'm a huge, huge fan of it. Uh, you just like add some moisture to it. You kind of like swirl the brush around and then you, you know, you do like anyone who's ever had like a professional shave. It's the same kind of thing. They kind of like you lather it under your face that way. And it's just much better for your skin. It, it also activates the hairs a little bit, gets them to stand up a little yes, bit better. So you get a smoother, closer shave. Big deal for that. It actually helps exfoliate your skin and clean your skin too, which is a big deal for me because look, I'm turned 36 in a month and uh, I'm starting to feel it. You know, I'm feeling older. My back hurts when I get up. My skin is getting older. You know, like, <laughs> I don't, I'm starting to look my age more. And I used to have this thing where like I looked 10 years younger than I am. And I'm, I'm starting, I'm starting to look 36 now. And I don't like that. I want to kind of, I want to kind of get a, a, around that. And I have recommended this to multiple people. I, like I'm a, I'm a big, big fan of it. I even told you I've like started to think about like clean shaving more often when I just don't do that very often. <laughs> and I'm just like, I just want to do it because you know, the, the shave's easier. It also, it makes the shave easier. Like, you're going to find your, yeah. your razor's smoother, your, your skin's smoother afterwards. I'm just a big fan overall. Your blades will last the, longer. Oh, yeah. I'm, I've been using the same blade for, like, a month now because, you know, I usually, I'm like you. I don't I don't shave my whole face. I mostly just go, like, the chin line down or whatever, but I've been doing, you know, more of it and stuff, too. Chad is so so surprised that you're 36. Yeah, Chad is very surprised yeah. that I'm 36. Canon looks a Hollywood 36. There you go. Yeah, I was born yeah. in 1984. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, I've also got a, I've got some aftershave balm. This is actually helpful. Even if I just use my beard trimmer, it's going to be great. I didn't think I would look when I got that. I, it's not one of the ones that I, that I got. And I was like, Ooh, I'm really excited to try this. Right. Cause I've used aftershave in the past and just not used it afterwards. Cause I'm not a big fan of aftershave. Aftershave balm is awesome. I am a huge, huge fan, right? Like keeps the skin nice and smooth. Uh, you know, helps clean up the pores and stuff. Also, it doesn't have as much of a, uh, like, you know, when you do aftershave, you get that, like that stabbing burning feel you know you're like oh you know it's yeah. working it doesn't have as much of that it's a little it's a little smoother uh, yeah because a lot of them have a lot of alcohol in them mm -hmm. yeah this, this is a lot smoother of a finish on it and i like that one a lot yeah and then i got another thing of body soap this is a new scent cologne Russe. yeah i got that Arusa. one today too i'm, I'm excited about that because i don't know what that is so. yeah. yeah it's it, it's like um it's like a softer seville actually they're similar i like this I'm in. Sheeps just gave me one of the more interesting co uh, compliments I've ever gotten. You look like a college kid who's figured out their life. <laughs> well, thank you. I, I reached out. It's like, so you're young, but you got your shit together. All right. So I like okay. that. So uh, uh, just a reminder, everyone, that is Barrister and Man, B-A-R-R-I-S-T-E-R, -R -R -E and two N's in Man. Uh, and we do have a discount code. 
What is the code? It's, it's just uh, Pioneer Cast. Pioneer Cast, and that's for 15%? Yeah, it's 15% off. So great time to get the stuff for yourself or for someone else. Because like I was kind of saying earlier, some of this stuff, while I, while I love it, I love the fact that I have it now. I'm one of those people, I wouldn't necessarily buy it for myself. You know, when we first got started talking to this company about the sponsorship thing, they were like, yeah, we're going to send you some stuff. And they sent me a lot more than I thought they would. You know, they sent us a lot of cool stuff to try out. And I started trying out stuff that I would have never bought myself because I'm like, ah, I just don't want to spend that money on myself. Right. And I'm like, yeah. now I can never not have this again. Right. Like I will have to have this, like, I'm going to have to replace this stuff. I say have to, I get to replace this stuff later. Like, I, you know, I've already made multiple orders to Barrister and man, I'm going to be buying gifts for, uh, for my family and stuff like that too. So huge fan. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it is, you know, it's going to be a little bit more expensive than stuff you get at the grocery store, but, but not by much. definitely worth it yeah. if you can afford it. And, you know, you can use that, the code PioneerCast, get yourself that 15% off uh, and cut into that difference. I think the price line on a lot of stuff, like the price point is actually like pretty spot on, especially for like with shipping and stuff. It's, it's never not really that bad, especially like here, here's the thing. Buy a couple of things at once. You know, that way you get the 15% off the whole order. And you're not just, you know, hey, I'm going to try this one thing. And then, oh, if I like it, like, you know, uh, you know, I'll, I'll order like seven more things. So, you know, try a couple of things. Give yourself some some variety as well so uh yeah and not only that but like i'm just a big fan of i kind of mentioned this while i don't know if you could hear us while you were on mute where it's kind of a real product you know like you've gone vegetarian recently i was close to being there before the pandemic happened and i might be going back again soon i'm way more into knowing what i put into and onto my body than i was you know 15 years ago and like when you take out this bar of soap and you look at it you're like this isn't this is a bar of soap you know what i mean but then you look at like the like there's commercials talking about this now like men's synthetic soap is like literally just dish cleaner it's just dishwash that like you can lather onto your body yeah, it's a degreaser yeah it's just a degreaser and like that's not what i want like that's 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 not me like i care about what i put into that stuff so yeah yeah um, you know the these these four things that they sent me caught rounded out to 42 bucks and you know the, the bar of soap is probably the size of two bars of soap that you get from a, a national brand you know that there it's going to last a while so you know it, the the most expensive thing was this thing of shaving soap and it's gigantic this was like 15 bucks but it probably lasts you 6 months someone uh, someone made a comment in here that that has bought something they bought a hand soap it's called the cootie killer and they they were like the name alone made them purchase something i was like yeah it's a great it's a great name uh yeah all all the hand soap is named cootie killer yeah, that stuff is great a lot of cool stuff i have uh i got one of the i think i got one of the aftershaves it's like um they only have it for limited times where it's baseball scented you know it has like you know it smells like summer you know what i mean it has like <laughs> some like grass and pine and like you know like you know things like you would smell on a baseball field or whatever and like it made me feel like it was the 90s again you know like going to summer camp and playing yeah. baseball all day and you'd be like i've been playing baseball for six hours didn't even realize it you know the day's over i need to go eat lunch or whatever you know that kind of stuff so as long as it doesn't smell like the locker room after baseball practice oh yeah yeah well I mean, look here's the thing when you were like when you're like 10 you didn't perspire the same. You know what I mean? Like you didn't smell that as bad, you know, like that is definitely true. Like that. So uh, I was thinking, I was thinking that kind of stuff. So, so the reminder that is barrister and man, B-A-R-R-I-S-T-E-R and M-A-N-N. Uh, the code for 15% off is just pioneer cast. And we appreciate any support you send their way. We are going to wrap up this show. We've got the top card on each of our lists. I don't think it's going to be much of a surprise for anybody uh, they are the same, and it is the pathways. 
So I'll say this, we, we, we have a pedigree of this where if we both agree on what the best card is of knocking it out of the fucking park. Yeah, we, we, we've done this three times now. We did not agree as uh, during Corset 2021, as you saw when we went over those. We did agree for Coria and we both said Luris. So pretty good there. Um, I don't, you know, this is a pretty safe pick though, you know, to be lands here. But for Pioneer... You gotta understand why these are here. We've been harping on it for a while. I think we almost did an entire the, the entire show we did on problems in Pioneer. This was one of the major problems was unbalanced mana bases. Yes. And while this, you know, we're gonna have to wait to get all the pathways, the ones that we we did get, among them we got Gruel and we got Selesnia. I think those are the biggest ones. Being able to play a green one drop on one in a multicolored deck is not something that you were very likely to do in Pioneer. And this ups that intensity, and so you're gonna see a lot of you know, different kinds of mid-range aggro decks become possible because of this. Like, being able to go, like, land where elves into something, or just, you know, pelt collector. You know, just something as far as that. Just being able to cast your spells on time is not something that friendly colored aggro decks have been able to do. And this this is this does more than just allow those decks to compete. It fundamentally reshapes the metagame. What you gotta understand is that metagaming is like an ecosystem when, you know, one of the reasons that decks can be really good is because they're in a metagame in an ecosystem that doesn't have natural predators. And if natural predators to those decks arise, then those decks, you know, decline and we find a new equilibrium. That's what's going to happen with these lands. We're going to have decks that are more consistent than they used to be. And they're going to put pressure on other decks in uneven ways. And, you know, a, Gruul, a successful Gruul aggro deck or Selesnya counters deck is going to have a certain range of matchups against Mono Green and against Teamer Reclamation, against Mono Black aggro, against Esperiorian. And that range of matchups, depending on how powerful these decks are in the, the metagame at large, is going to affect how playable those decks are, which will then in turn affect how, how playable other decks are. You know, that's how metagaming works. So there's all these secondary and tertiary effects that these lands are going to bring to the metagame that are going to take months to sort out because it doesn't all happen in that first tournament. It's all reaction, you know, and, you know, sometimes the, the reaction is slow. Sometimes it's fast. Right now in Pioneer, it's probably going to be a little bit slow because there aren't as many tournaments. The metagame is going to move slowly. And these lands, you know, we're not going to see the full effect of these, I don't think, until multiple sets down the road because we're going to get, a, we're going to complete the cycle probably in the next set. Uh, and get the the last four. That's going to have the Demir one. That's going to be big. Um, that's going to have the Azorius one. That's going to be big. You know, and what's the other? Um, that's Rakdos. Yeah. Rakdos. All, not that, all three really big. Um, so, you know, we, we've only got two of the five friendly color ones for this one. I should have put those two here. I put the ones I did so I could get Izzet and you would get crappy Orzov. Uh, just to dagger you, but sure. I should have put the, the Gruul and Celestia ones because they're the most important for Pioneer. Mm-hmm. And I, I gotta agree with you with those being the, the most. The important. other ones we'll see play too. Don't worry. Yeah. I mean, now, now it's kind of comical. Like, an, is it uh, if, I, if you want to play? Is it Phoenix? You get to play. Do you even play for Shivan Reef? I don't think you do. No. You already have Steam Vents and Spiral of Canal and and the, and the Pathway. Yeah, I think you have to play it out and see like how because like the deck's not super color intensive except for the, like it needs blue. Like, you, you, you know, you have to have blue to be, like, turning through your deck and stuff like that. So I'm not 100% sure. And if you're playing, like, a double red and a double blue card, then maybe Shivan Reef is better. But here, here's the thing. Like, you know, so people are talking about in our chat right now, like, these lands aren't busted or, like, how can these be number one or whatever. 
when we're making these lists, we're talking about what is going to be like the biggest impact on Pioneer. And I think it's pretty obvious that these lands are going to have a big impact on Pioneer, right? Like take it take into a into account. And yes, I know we're comparing them to a dual land, but like let's say Ravnica hadn't been printed yet, the newest Ravnica, and so there were no dual lands legal in Pioneer. Like you didn't have you know Overgrown Tomb, like you didn't have Goblet Shrine. If we did a top eight list for that set, those lands you have to believe would be number one slam dunk, right? And that's what these lands like. They're not the same thing, but that's what these are in that essence. The fact that they are fixing a hole in the format that we've been talking about. Like our very first episode, or maybe it was the second one. I can't remember. But one of our first episodes, we talked about the mana and the format and the lands that were available and how there was just like this glaring gap in certain color combinations that just didn't have as many dual lands as the other ones did. Right. And we talked about Selesnia and we talked about Gruul. Like they were just didn't have lands that could, you know, tap for either one of those colors. And yeah, these don't tap for both, but it helps fix those. It helps fill in that gap. And you can see that in the results of the format that we've had for almost a year now where those decks haven't really shown up. You know, we haven't seen Celestia, we haven't seen Gruul. And I remember in the early days of this format, you know, that that first, you know, three weeks or so, everybody was trying out a bunch of different brews. And I was watching streams. I was watching Todd Anderson, Jim Davis, you know, a bunch of people. And I saw them play decks that when they had their good mana draws, they were powerful, but they were just so inconsistent. They lost themselves so often. I remember Jim playing a Selesnya Auras deck. You know, maybe since then we've gotten all the, the black cards from Theros Beyond Death. Is it better than Orzhov Auras, which is, you know, a pretty good deck? It, it might be. I don't know. It has some, it had really powerful cards. I don't remember exactly what it had, but, you know, Selesnya Counters, I think is a big one. I think that deck could be really good. You know, I love me a Venerate Aloxodon Tannin. You know I love me a venerate a lot. You, you and Jim Davis love that card so much. So uh, I'm I'm in on these, and you just they just needed the mana. So now we get to go back to the drawing board with these decks. We get to revisit those archetypes, and it's gonna be they're gonna be invigorated because of that consistency. And uh, for people in chat, I don't know who you are who are you know trying to underestimate the impact of the lands, but if you didn't realize this. The mana system of magic is literally what defines the game. It is the defining aspect of magic gathering is the mana system. And it literally tells you what is possible, you know, and the best cards in the magic's history are the cards that completely break it down and let you do things that were otherwise impossible to an absurd degree. You know, the mana, and I'm not even just talking about access to different colors. It's also dictates the pacing of the game. You get one man on turn one, two man on turn two, and so on. And that's why like mana acceleration strategies are powerful when executed properly. So the mana in Magic literally defines what is possible. And there are tons of powerful cards that have existed in Magic history that haven't seen play in their respective formats because they didn't have a home because the mana wasn't available. You know, like, and, and every time I'm looking at a new format or, a, you know, new metagame, the mana is what I look at first. It's how I build decks because that tells me what's possible. Yeah, and I think the fact that I mean, like, obviously comparing this to a dual land is going to do a disservice for this card, right? A land that always taps for one or uh, always these taps for one of two. really good. I think these cards are very good. And it fixes, I mean, I'm just going to harp on this again. It fixes a glaring hole in the format, right? Like, we, we knew that the format was missing this. And we knew that these cards were needed. And I remember seeing this and immediately messaging Ross about this. And I was like, hey, we got, you know these dual lands that we're missing and like, you know, I'm using dual lands and quotations here, right? Like, is it as good as a stomping grounds? Probably not. Yeah. We, we know that, you know, we're aware of that, but 
does it make that deck better? Does it make it more consistent? Does it make it playable? Yes. Yeah. There's some limitation here. You're not going to be able to play two color decks that have double of each of their colors. You're not going to have, you're not going to be able to play cards with significant color spread or decks with significant color spread. Uh, and, and that's the limitation here. But the, the, those decks didn't need that. A lot of them were base one color splashing the other one, you know, or they just needed to be able to cast two different colors of one drops on turn one consistently to get the, the requisite like number of one drops to be a real competitive aggro deck in the format. Like that's what they needed. And that these decks, these lands are giving them that. I'm telling you, the first deck I'm building and streaming with, and I'll do it as soon as it's available on Pioneer, is going to be Gruel Bushwhacker with the Gruel Pathway and the One Drop. And we're going to see how it does. We're going to see Wayward Guide Beast as a three of in my, my Gruel Bushwhacker deck. We're going to play a lot of One Drops, and we're going to cast them a lot more easily. Because that deck won on turn four a lot, and it like. It's not just be like sometimes not being able to cast the card. It's also just having to mulligan significantly more often. You know, I would I would mulligan my seven and I would look at a six that had two green cards and no green mana. And I'm like, oh, I guess I'm going to five. If I just had a pathway instead of one of these mountains, we would be good to go. So like, here, here's a point too. Like someone in the chat said, I feel like these just aid two color aggro decks. I, I'm I'm trying to I, I'm not I'm not dunking on this person. I'm not saying bad or anything, right? But like, it, it, isn't that enough? If that's true, isn't that enough to be very impactful in this format and more impactful than a card showing up in one archetype? All of a sudden, these two color aggro decks are more playable because think about the history of this format. It is defined by monocolored decks and like combo decks, right? I mean, there's other stuff in there, right? But you're thinking, you know, think of any of the decks that were considered the best of their time. Think of like, you know, the two different mono green decks, mono black, you know, chunky red. You know, I'm thinking of like monocolored decks, right? Yeah. And I'm thinking of like, like the one exception is like Sultai. And yeah. Was that ever like was that ever really the best deck? Like for a week? Probably. Yeah. For a week, maybe. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then it fell off the it fell off the face of the earth. You know, like, and it just it's going to add diversity to the format, right? It's going to add consistency to the format into decks that didn't have that before, right? And we talked about this earlier, like cards that we think are going to be good in the format or could be good in the format that haven't had a good home yet. This gives them more of a chance to have a home because the cards can be cast more regularly now, you know? Yeah. And I just think these cards are going to be the most impactful overall out of all this. Because, like, here's the thing. If we're wrong about this being the most impactful card and someone else in this list is more impactful, it's only because something like Scourge of the Sky Cleaves literally spawns its own deck. You know, it just becomes that, oh, this card just is as good as Death Shadow. You know, something like that. And it just spawns, spawns a, con- a complete archetype and then... Those two color decks, these just proved to not be enough to make them good enough, right? That's a lot of ifs. That's asking a lot of a card, you know, but we know that these pathways, and it's not just one card either, right? Like a lot of this list, we're kind of cheating on this, on this, right? You know, we're talking about a series of cards, like a cycle of cards, you know? Yeah. And and it's not just, it's not really just aggro decks, like, or at least when you, when I think of an aggro deck, I think more of a linear aggro deck. These do slot best into, you know, proactive, uh, you know, proactive strategies, but they don't have to be, you know, that straight balls to the wall aggro, you know, that they can be more, you know, a, a little bit bigger. They can be a little bit mid-rangey. They can have some different synergies around in them. Like the, the Rakdos one is going to be excellent for Rakdos Pyromancer, but that hits in three months. Yeah. It's going to be great. Though, because that deck's mana base is not very good. I've played it. It was the worst part of the deck. You have like forbidden runs or whatever it's called. Just, forbidden runs. Yeah. 
the moment I don't have to play Port Town ever again yeah, I know, right? is a great day in my life. Yeah, fucking Port Those Town. lands suck. They suck, you know, and the, these are actively very good. I'm happy to have them in my deck. I, I think they're, I actually think they're better than Pain Lands. Uh, yeah, depending. I can see that. And I think they're better than Check Lands. I, th- I think they are the third best set of dual lands available in Pioneer after Shock Lands and uh, Fast Lands. Okay. I can, I can see that. Yeah, it, I mean, the next best one. Time's going to tell. You know, we'll have to, we'll have to see. Uh, you know, we've been wrong before. We'll be wrong again. Um, I will say the last thing I want to say about this, I think it's cool. I think I think the cards are just cool, right? Like, they're, they're exploring design space that they haven't explored before, which is kind of awesome to see in a game that's been around this long. You know, the game's been around for most of my life. And I've been playing it for most of my life. And this is something that I haven't seen before. And that is cool to me. And I think these are going to be very impactful and just cool. So I'm excited to play with them. I am super looking forward to the set. I'm looking forward to rotation and standard. I'm, 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 I mean, we'll talk about Uro differently. I'm looking forward to new decks being possible in Pioneer. I wasn't super thinking that was going to happen when we did the last uh, preview show. With this one, I do think we're going to get new cards that are going to make a big impact and stay around and not just get tried out for like a week. You know, I think we're going to see them actually make big impacts on the format. So, yeah, I have high impacts. hopes. I have very high hopes for this set. Yeah, I, I don't. Th- like, we don't have cards that are on the level of Yorian and Lurus that are going to completely reshape the format. Or yeah, similar to Theros Beyond Death. We're not at that level, but we're well above what Core Set 21 was. So, I'm. I think this is a a great pioneer power level set. Um, you know, I, th- I think we could go probably a, a little bit higher, but after what after the last year. I'm very happy to air low. Um, and honestly, like the, some of these cards could really overperform. So, you know, come three months, I might be saying, actually, I wish we had scaled back even a, a little bit more. So, yeah. uh, r- really happy with where this set landed. I think not only is this set, um, this set is both, you know, appropriately powered and interesting. Yeah. I think the, de- the decks I've seen built out of this set. Look way cooler than the decks I've seen. It's going to be a challenge out of the last couple, right? Like yeah. you, you have a new, unique, new challenge to deck building now that I am terrified and excited to try. So yeah, and I'm excited to see what other people do. Yeah. I like, you know, I want to see people really push the boundaries. Uh-huh. I want to see decks that have 40 plus lands in Standard and Pioneer. Yeah, I, I want to see you know decks that have that look on the on the the sheet only have eight lands in them but really have like 24. I, I got to ask you a quick question. Do you think the double-sided cards, like especially the, the land spells, makes decks like the Yorian better? Um, how so? Like you just get to add in extra spells now. You know what I mean? Like you, you have to play a bajillion lands in those decks because you're playing, you know, six, um, you know. Yeah, 80, yeah. 80 it cards helps you like. mitigate the additional variance. That, that's true. That That's definitely a, a point in Yorian's favor. That's a good point. Yeah, I was going to say, that's what I was going to get at is like mathematically, I think you're just more likely to have less non-games. Yeah. Okay, uh, so that is our list. We uh, wanted to set aside a little bit of time, and we're we're on the high side for our show, but we got a few minutes and run an AMA. St- you know, only a few. I I, I can take a break and let you do one for a second too. I'm starving. So, so for viewers of the show, you know that we have our mailbag that is available to uh, Patreon patrons, and you're it, it's in our Discord channel. You're able to post there. Uh, regular Discord members are not, and you're able to you know submit questions that we do answer live on air. We're going to be saving those for our next regular show, and we're going to allow people who are actually here live, because we very much appreciate those who took the time out of their day to come watch us live to ask questions here for a few minutes. You know, that that segment's usually not very long, but 
We're going to take a few questions now. We're going to answer them, and then we are going to wrap the show. So get those questions in and get them in quickly. For Hitoa, uh, just while they're typing it out, someone said, can we ban Uro already? Yes, please. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm ready for it. Okay, I see a question from Hateful Eidolon. They are asking, why does the party land enter the battlefield tapped? And my answer to that is, I don't fucking know, and I'm really pissed that it does too. God, I, you should have let me answer first because I had the correct answer. Which is? They hate you. It's because they hate you. <laughs> <laughs> it's because you have to fight for your right to party. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> you have yeah. to fight really hard. Igneal619 uh, Igneal with where would you guys rank Leyline Tyrant for the format? Is that the is that the red dragon that like you can float mana between phases and then you yes. can pay red when it dies? It domes them. That I one... think that card is potentially playable in standard, but yeah. not playable in Pioneer. Yeah. I, I'm not seeing it in Pioneer. It's a weird card. And it, it, I mean, cards like that have a, a, a tendency to pop up here or there, but I'm not seeing it. Yeah, it's just not immediately impactful enough for the format. Does Demir Rogues become playable in Pioneer? The answer is yes. Um, I'm not sure you'll win a lot. The card that I'm actually interested in potentially playing Rogues in Historic, because they have the the cool card from Lorwyn Block that makes all the your Rogues enter with counters. It makes them discard when you connect with a creature with a counter on oh, it. Oh, yeah, 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 the little creature. Yeah, yeah, black card. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think that could make a Rogue deck good in that format. But not, yeah, not really Pioneer. Guess four, five, six. What's your guys' opinion on Vampire Night Goyfi card? I think it's good. Uh, I think that card is. I'm ex- I'm optimistic for it in Pioneer solely because its stats line up well against the format. It's CMC three, so it often dodges push. It's three toughness, so it often dodges the shocks, and it's usually going to be a, a pretty big. I see it more as a sideboard card against aggro decks, but um, I'm optimistic it could could be better than that. Yeah, the problem with the card is it's fighting in a slot of other good three and four drops in the black decks, and they already have a lot of stuff there, and you can only play so many without clunking up your deck so much. I would not be surprised to see it start to show up. I do think the card, I mean, it jumps off the page, right? Like, like it has so many words on it that are good. So I do think it has a chance. Yeah, yeah it's definitely worthy of a tryout there. Well, that's going to be the first test. Do you think Uro lasts the year legally in standard? No. I, hope, I actually hope so. Because that will mean it's not dominant. Yeah, That would be way better than having to endure two more months of Uro everywhere and then it gets banned. And I'm a little actually optimistic there because I think part of the reason that the the base Simic decks were so good is because of the density of awesome Simic cards. They got to play, you know, Growth Spiral and Krasis and Uro. And then, you know, all the... the uh, their, their Aether Gusts were so much better than yours because they got paired with Nyssa. And they untapped Breeding Pool, and they, they gusted. So, you know, even though Gust was good against them, theirs were better. Uh, you know, all of these little things added up. And, you know, without all of them, just Uro, I could definitely see it not being as dominant and just being part of the healthy metagame. It's going to see play. It's not like it's going to go to unplayable. But I'm hopeful that it's not as dominant as it was for the last six months. Uh, I got a couple questions directed at me, so I'm going to answer them real quick. Um, want to add somebody... Uh... Mad Z asked, how do you get to a 29 to 9 baseball score and why? Obviously, I was super excited about the Braves breaking the National League record for run score in the game. That was super awesome. How does it happen? The other team has to stop trying at one point in time and just give up. Uh, also, in the same vein, Mr. Fahrenheit asked, how do you? How are you feeling about the Braves right now? Actually, a lot better than I was a couple weeks ago. Um, we have the worst pitching in the major leagues, but it's getting steadily better and better and better. Uh, the young kids are developing. Uh, we're starting to have the injuries come back around. If we're healthy in the postseason, I think that uh, we could actually, 
something weird could happen and we could, we could win it all. I don't think we're the favorites by far, but even with having the worst pitching in the majors for a significant portion of the time, if the, if the season ended today, we'd be the number two seed in the National League. Uh, the lineup is exceptionally deep and just elite at almost every position. The bullpen is elite. The starting pitching is a dumpster fire. So as long as that, ha- like, I made the joke earlier, if they had league average, right, if they were like the 15th best pitching team in the majors when it came to starting pitching, I think they would be World Series favorites. But when you're 30th, it's a lot different. So, But uh, super excited. I still watch every game. I had the ga- I have had the game on on the side screen for the entirety of this uh, thing, but we're, we lost 14 to 1. So, yeah, our starting... Well, we were down 10 to nothing in like the second because our starting pitching can't get anybody out. So, yeah. Okay. We got Sparrow saying, no question, but thanks to the live show, guys. I always love hanging out for these. The Pioneer Cast show in general is pretty great, but the live shows are always neat. We love Sparrow you, is yeah. one of our most consistent and longtime supporters of not only the Pioneer Cast, but also my stream. So thank you very much. Uh, moving on to get some questions in. Heavy Shane says, does Skyclave Shade help push Dredgeless Dredge up in tier again? A no, because it is not appreciably better than Scrap Heap Scrounger. What Dreadless Dredge needs is either a really good enabler, because it doesn't have great enablers right now, or it needs cards that let it j- develop a battlefield for very low amounts of mana. So having to cast the shade, much like spending two mana on Scrap Heap Scrounger, is the limiting factor there. So not going to make a huge impact in that deck, but could see play in it. Uh, Kion, 1982, watching the Nuggets versus Clippers tomorrow, and who are you rooting for? I will be watching... Uh, I don't have a significant rooting interest, to be honest. Nuggets. Um, rooting for the Nuggets. Sorry. Um, I don't know. I, I actually don't have a significant rooting interest. I'll just be watching, hoping for a good game. Yeah, I will say, I do like just watching Kawhi play. How about that? Like, just that dude does something in every game that... My favorite Kawhi thing of all time is not a play that he did, but it's when he checked back in when he was with the Spurs and you saw that look on LeBron's face. And I think he's at the foul line and he looks back and sees a Kawhi check back in. He seems to go, God damn. You know, he like has like the shit look on his face. Or whatever, that's like when Kawhi was like starting to ascend into like superstardom and stuff. And I mean, the, the guy's a, probably like a top three player in the NBA and just doesn't get talk, talked about enough. Oh, okay. okay. Uh, we're going to do five more real quick and then head out. Uh, from Guest456, how do you guys feel about the Planeswalkers in power level? Uh, quick hits. I think Nissa sucks. I think Jace is mediocre. I think Nahiri is an interesting card that is not going to be a key element of the decks it goes in but uh, could be a good role player as just like a reasonable sticky threat against control decks that is still reasonable enough to play against um, uh, against the rest of the field. So you like main deck a couple copies, sideboard another one. Watch a versus tomorrow. I've got a Boros like equipment deck. That's the, um, that uses sparing amounts of Nahiri. I think that's the limit of it. But overall, not very impressed by the Planeswalkers. Uh, agree. What's the green black one? Nissa. I think that one has a shot. I think that one sucks. I think it has a shot. In, in something very specific maybe not in pioneer but i think that one might be really cool and like standard there's, there's some cool stuff you can do with it okay uh then mr fahrenheit how about elder Garroth and the 60 for mono green walkers now yeah that's kind of stock i don't really understand we'll get more into that in our next regular show where we talk more about you know decks and stuff that's going to be a big topic so i'm going to save that one and take a rain check on that question um then Igneal 619 is Null Priest of Oblivion. Does it guaranteed add to a potential cleric tribal deck in standard? Which one is Null Priest of Oblivion, Terrence? Is that the 2-1? Um, hold on. I think that one's on my list. Yeah, so that one's on my list, and I had it in my top eight originally. It's the 2-1 of Menace and Lifelink that you can, when you kick it, you get to uh, put a creature from your graveyard into play. Um, 
I don't think that card is actually that good. It reads better than it is. That's the thing for me. I think that card, like it jumps off the page when you're reading it. I got to play it in games. Um, it, it might be good enough, but I think that card is going to end up being disappointing. The body's relevant. So like maybe, maybe. But the problem is, is like making a deck where both ends of it are relevant, where the body's relevant early and the ability's relevant late is going to be a, a tall task for you. Yep. Mads, outside Pioneer question. The Mythic Green Flip Land. Amulet Titan, Tron, anywhere? Yes, yes. to Amulet Titan, no to Tron. God, that card is good in Amulet. Uh, I was going to say, I heard um, some of the, I've you know, I, I play Warzone of Dilks quite often, and, you know, that whole little crew, like the Canadian crew and the, and the Amulet crew. And I've heard, you know, some people say maybe it's overrated, up to some people like stock three to four of. I'm going to stop at Halfwing Scene just so I don't uh, skip anyone who's asked a question so far. So that's going to be the last one. But we've got Valcanius. Do you think the white three-man equipment is playable in Modern? No, but I think that no. card is good in Standard. Yeah, agree with Ross. I think the key, I, it's actually what I wrote my article about this week. It'll be live tomorrow, several decks including the card. I think it's good in Standard. I think people are looking at it like an aura, and they should be looking at it like a very good Sky Knight Legionnaire. I think that's a I think it's a good way to put it. Yeah. Um Cleansing Wildfire thoughts. What is Cleansing Wildfire? Is that the two mana LD spell? The one that like you draw a card or whatever? Hold on, I'm looking through it right now. Cleansing Wildfire. So this is two mana field of ruin, draw a card? Uh is that it? I'm looking through it right now. That's what that red card is that you talked about. Yeah. Is that Cleansing Wildfire? I'm not sure. I'm looking through the spoiler. Yes, it's the uh it's that one. Uh overrated. I think the card it well, I've heard nothing about it, but I think that card has a shot. I I wouldn't be at all surprised if it just sees absolutely no play. But I'm kind of interested in that card in landfall decks because you need ways to double trigger, and that's actually a pretty efficient way to do it. But uh, not in Pioneer for sure. Too inefficient for that. Uh, I love the artwork. Like, love, love the artwork. How about that? Silver Fang at 30. Is there going to be a Boris equipment deck? Uh, I doubt it. Um, may, like maybe in standard, but not in Pioneer. Yeah, I think you're asking that those decks have the, the the problem of being too inconsistent for a format like Pioneer, and Fatal Bush is still a huge problem for you. Yeah. Pioneer also has decks that go like really far over the top of it. And the benefit of equipment is it lets you play late game because they're mana sinks. So you need it in less powerful formats. And then halfway scene, last question. Is Felidar Retreat good enough for an Hour of Promise ramp deck? Um, I do think Felidar Retreat is good. And that curve of Felidar Retreat into Hour of Promise is kind of neat, especially if you have the desert. So you get the zombies from Hour and the, the cats, and then you can start pumping them. That that's that is kind of neat. It's like you know, obviously like way worse than field, but field was so broken it got banned. So there's a lot of space between you know broken and still good. That that I hadn't thought of for uh, pioneer, but I do think Felidar Retreat is a good card. Um, that, I, I would say it has a shot. I, I wouldn't be surprised if it completely fails. Um, but you know, build your own Avenger of Zendikar. I'm I'm intrigued. Absolutely. Definitely. Those are cards that, like, I see them, and I'm like, yeah, this wouldn't make my top eight list, of course, but I wouldn't be surprised if it showed up somewhere. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. If it was a player. Okay. Thank you all for hanging out for our third uh, Pioneer Cast preview show. Uh, we appreciate everyone who was here. If you want to rewatch, the video will be up, because I didn't play music on it, will be up, uh, the VOD will be up on my Twitch channel here. Um, and that, uh, if you're listening to this and you actually want to watch it uh you can go to my twitch channel it's a uh, twitch.tv slash ross underscore miriam um and then this will also be uh edited the audio will by our lovely editor brent and released as an episode if you want to re-listen to it later uh so that'll be there for you as well thanks brent. Uh, if you want to follow me any more closely my twitter is at ross hunnids 
R-O-S-S, H-U-N, and E-D-S. That's the best one-stop shop for all of my stuff. I tweet out, you know, probably 90% of the time. Sometimes I forget. Uh, and I do answer questions that people ask me there. So that's a great place to get at me. Um, then there is my written content on StarCityGames.com. My articles go up on Tuesdays, typically. If there is a deviation from that, I will tweet out. I'll also tweet a link to the article on my Twitter. This week's article is about Mall of the Skyclaves, which is the white equipment that gives plus two, plus two flying in first strike. So if you're interested in that card in a standard context, that's what that article is about. Then there is my video content for them, which is Versus Live, the web show I co-host twice a week with Corey Baumeister. That's from uh, 1 to 4 p.m. Eastern time on Tuesdays and Thursdays. We play whatever is relevant. So recently that's been us brewing decks and uh, with new cards and playing them against each other. We're going to continue doing that, you know, through the next couple of weeks. Uh, we take questions live from the audience. We have a great time doing the show. It's just like, you know, fun playtesting if you haven't seen it before. Uh, but with two really high-level players, we give you our insights to our plays and our feelings on the decks afterwards. Uh, and we play three matches from one to four. If you can't catch those live, the, vo- uh, the VODs do go on the Star City Games YouTube channel a day later uh, at 5 p.m. the next day. So Tuesday, she'll go up Wednesday. Thursday, she'll go up Friday. You can catch them recorded. And I mentioned my stream as well. So that's all for me. Tannen, if they want to follow you more closely, where can they go? Uh, on Twitter, it's the Tannen Grace. On Twitch, it's just Tannen Grace. Uh, you can find me on there. Haven't been on Twitch very much lately. Haven't been super uh, motivated to stream a lot of the formats lately. Ditto. But, yeah, but that, that always could change at a moment's notice. Uh, also, I've been playing a lot of like Warzone and poker, uh, like online poker lately, and that's like not stuff that I really want to stream much because with Warzone, I can't interact with my chat. I'm a big, big fan of interacting with chat. And stuff like that. So, also, I can't play music. You're telling me you're not good enough. You can't interact with chat and kill people. You you, you just have to stare at the screen the entire time. Like you literally can't look over at the chat. <laughs> like it's, it's maybe if you were better, you could. Yeah, it's pretty. It's, <laughs> it's pretty difficult because like if you if you look away for like half a second, you might just die. And like it's a game where you're dead. You're dead. I said I play with a blindfold on, and I always win. What game are we talking about? I don't think we're talking about Warzone <laughs> anymore, here, are we? <laughs> but uh, anyway, I almost made some really bad jokes there. I'm really glad I didn't. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, those are the two places that you can mostly find me if you want to like watch or hear me play any games or talk to me about stuff. I talk a lot about sports as mu- as well as you know magic and some other stuff on Twitter. Um, I was about to say, if you wanted to follow the actual cast itself, we have a Twitter as well. It's just Cast Pioneer. I mean, if you put Pioneer Cast in the search, you should be able to find both there. You heard us kind of mention that earlier on the show. I want to make sure that you definitely follow us on there because we always talk about when the new shows are live. We retweet some really cool lists. This is the perfect time to follow us on Twitter because whenever the new lists are coming out with uh, Zendikar cards, I'm going to be retweeting a lot of them. Right, you're gonna yeah, be retweeting so you, you all get the to tools. be a nice uh, aggregator. Yeah, get to get to do all of that. Um, if you wanted to join our Discord, the link is in the Twitter. If you can't find it there, just message me, Ross, or Brent, who works for the show, and we'll be able to find you the link for it right there. Tons of stuff. Go. Look, I gotta say, our Discord. I check it multiple times a day. I'm a huge fan. Uh, I always talk about. Some, I'm a big fan of the food section. Uh, we have a real chef in there that owns a bunch of restaurants. And he puts up stuff. He made some like fried egg roll looking things the other day with spam. And I've never wanted spam more in my life than than the thing that he cooked or whatever. It looked amazing, but uh, Ross Dude, and I... pork. Yeah, well, yeah, but, I mean, it's spam. But, like, 
Ross and I had definitely made an agreement the other day. Whenever it becomes safe, uh, he lives up in Detroit. Whenever it becomes safe, we're going to go up to Detroit. And uh, I'm going to let him treat me to a few meals. I'll pay. But I'm, I'm going to let him, like, I'm just going to be like, look, just surprise, just bring stuff yeah, out. I'm not, give, give us the tasting menu. Yeah, I'm not even going to order anything, just tasting menu. Have you ever had a tasting menu at a real restaurant before, like a nice No, one? it's definitely on my bucket list. Natalie and I did it for our anniversary one year or birthday. I can't remember. It might have been her birthday. But we did it at uh, The Win. You know, one of the the nicer bougie uh, casinos. I knew a manager there, so he kind of like hooked me up with it at like a better price than whatever. And did you pay under five hundred dollars a plate? I paid five hundred dollars a person. It was under five hundred dollars. Yeah, it was. It was. It was triple digits, but it was under yeah, five hundred. Yeah, it's almost, it's almost always triple. But it was, but was it over two hundred. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I'm not gonna say the price, but it was. It was expensive, but it was a lot of fun. It's a cool experience. Um. I definitely recommend running a few miles before you go do it. You know what I mean? Like, make sure you get enough space for everything. Also, don't finish stuff. Like, just, you know what I mean? Unless it's the best thing you've ever tasted or whatever. But, oh, I'm finishing everything. I'm getting my money's worth, Tanner. Well, the thing is, you want to be able to eat. You just want to be able to, you want to be able to try everything. So, if you finish everything, you might not make it to the last couple. couple I'm eating everything. Okay, sure. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. Spam is good in fried rice. I might have to try something. God, I'm so hungry right now, by the way. That's why I'm bringing up food. I'll wrap the show. But we have a lot of cool sections in there. People trying stuff out. I'm a big fan of the pet section, too. I put up pictures of my dog, Beignet, in there quite a bit. Uh, I put it, I paid good money, put it in a bag for me. And so they don't let you, this place would not let you bring home uh, the, the excess stuff, too. So that's that's the crazy part. They're like, you, you can't bring anything home, either. Um, anyway, uh, you find that in the Discord. Also, our Patreon is at uh, patreon.com slash pioneercast. We really appreciate everybody who comes and watches the show, listens to the show, just supports us by being here. But we especially appreciate the people who monetarily support us because it allows us to pay Brent, who does the audio for the show. It allows Ross to take a little bit of cut for himself whenever he puts in hours of work to make the show look good, like when you see it on the show right here. Because here's the thing. If you look at the screen right now, if you're watching us, I couldn't do this. I'd had to outsource (laughs) this and pay somebody. You know where that money comes from? I spent from? an afternoon figuring it out. Yeah, and Ross spent an afternoon figuring it out. And I owe him a beer for that. Or three. So I need to, I need to do that or whatever. I so, accept. <laughs> yeah, I accept. Never so, turned out a beer in my life. Yeah, never, not not going to start now. today. Yeah. So we really appreciate everybody who hangs out. But we especially appreciate all you uh, Patreon. By the way, if you're listening to this and you're a Patreon and you haven't listened to the Patreon-only episode, that went live a few days ago. Make sure that you, uh, you check the Patreon section for that. Uh, lots of cool stuff going on there. Because that's the show you guys and girls get to kind of, you know, Tell us what to do. Um, we have a, one of those every about six to eight weeks where we take questions in, our, in a special section in our Discord, and we have a Patreon-only show that they get to kind of uh, guide really us. It just depends on how quickly that channel fills up. So the more questions y'all ask, the more of those episodes you're going to get. Yeah, if, shit, if y'all fill it up every freaking week, we'll do one every week. I mean, maybe not every week, but we'll, we'll do it pretty often Like if you guys start filling it up a ton. Uh, we might have to like up the the dollar amount for it or something but we'll definitely we'll definitely churn out new episodes all the time um we have some other cool stuff that's going out to the patrons i might do a giveaway here soon for some barrister man products uh we have some tokens that we made for the show we've been hesitant to send them out because you know there was that time where we didn't think pioneer was going to make it we were going to possibly rename the show but uh we're, and we're waiting for the the pandemic to be a little better but we'll get out yeah, those two things kind of went back to back yeah those <laughs> things going back to back definitely slowed us down ross has them on his desk right now he'll probably show the camera like he always like does it. Yeah. I can do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Normally, I'm just showing them to you. Yeah, I, I can show them to the people who are still here. Yeah, for the, the people troopers. still here. I've posted them before, but I don't know if people have all seen them. But we have tokens. Also, we're trying to make it to where um, I can sign them at the same time as Ross because he has them and I do not. So if people want signed copies of it, or you know, hey, Tana, you're my favorite. Ross, you're my favorite. You know, write me a little something on there. We can do that too. So we'll we'll, we'll try to do that in the future 
for everybody. I as should well. just send half a stack to you after signing them, and then we can send out everybody. Uh, I'll, I'll send half a stack to you. I'll sign one. You'll sign one, and we'll send everybody two. Yeah, there you go. Because they've waited so long. Yeah, we'll we'll figure it out. So. Uh, but anyway, that's going to be this week's show. So for everybody who showed up on Twitch and watched live, we had a good number of people in here the whole time. They seemed to really enjoy it, and chat was really into it. Big fan of that. So thank you very much, Ross. I don't know if you wanted to say anything to thank the channel. Got some, uh, got thank some, you. got some followers. Got some, some subs. Thank you. Yeah, awesome. So you um, like me? You really like? And everyone listening to this in your car, in your whatever medium of choice, you're out in your backyard with your dog, just listen to it. You know, as your morning jog or your morning commute. Thank you so much. We really appreciate it. And we'll see y'all next week. Those lands suck. They suck.